Okay. Wow. It's going to be a great day. <laughs> wow, I just broke it. It's fixed now. That never came apart before. Cool. Everybody doing all right this morning? Cool. You will need notebooks today. We're going to have fun. <laughs> it will be, well, I don't know. Depends on how much notes you take and how big you write. <laughs> I'm excited today. It's a really, 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 really good day. Uh, we've talked about a couple of things over the last few days that have been a lot of fun. Um, I have had a lot of people come and, and asking questions. When we talked about the unconditional authority, the fall of Satan, some of the different things there, to me, that, that's the kind of stuff I love. It just makes my head spin, and I, I, I love that. I tell you over and over, I live in the realm of mystery. I, I live with the idea I have more questions than answers. Uh, I love when, when Holy Spirit just speaks to my heart about different things, and, and, and and I got to tell you, I, I, I don't know if it works this way for everybody. I don't know if I'm hyper-analytical or what the story is, because I don't feel that way. But like, I'll read stuff, and I go, oh. And when I do that, and it's like so cool, but it opens up two more, but what about this? <laughs> but what about that? Have you guys thought like, like this? Here's a question. Did evil always exist? Did evil always exist? How can, you have a, how can you have a tree in the midst of the garden before the fall of man called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil if evil didn't exist till the fall? Huh? Come on. There was the knowledge of, there had to be the knowledge of good and evil because there's a tree called the knowledge of good and evil. How can you have a tree called the knowledge of good and evil if evil didn't exist till the fall? Come on. Am I right or not? Did that make you go, duh, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> well, there was darkness and light. You said that How? darkness is the obscurity, the chaos from the beginning. Absolutely. If you read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, uh, in the beginning, I love this, in the beginning, God, that so messes with my head. I still haven't figured that out. <laughs> like, how was he already? Because we're finite and we can't understand infinite. So don't lose that. Don't, 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 get, don't get all messed up over that. We're, we're, we're a finite creation and we're trying to understand an infinite God. We're not going to be able to do that. So it's okay. I'm, I'm cool with that. But God had no beginning. And that whole no beginning thing really messes with my head. Right? But then it says, and the earth was, created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. If you understand that word in the Hebrew, it says chaotic. Why is there God and chaos at the same time. Where did chaotic come from? Right? Come on. I mean, and then watch this. What's the first thing God does? He separates what? Light from darkness. We, just, we determined, and, and from everything we can understand, darkness doesn't even exist. Darkness simply means the absence of light. And we knew that the light, the sun, the moon, and the stars aren't created till day four, and light is created in day one, right? Light and darkness are separated in day one. If, li if the light from day one was God and darkness was the absence of light, where was God absent when he's omnipresent? Now I'm really messing with your head, huh? <laughs> but all those things. Come on, what? Did God create evil? I don't think God would create evil, do you? 
I would seem so, it would seem so obscure from the nature of the Father that I understand it now. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was in the garden. That's some interesting stuff. It doesn't make your head spin, right? Here's what I know. Evil does exist. But here's what else I know. We have power over evil. We've been given authority. So I don't stand around worrying about evil. You, you guys have talked about all this, right? I, I trust that you've talked about all this. But I'm telling you, if a witch came into the room in full garb with all of her robes and everything else, we ought to just go over and hug her. <laughs> that shouldn't freak the church out. Do you understand what I just said? Hey, you guys know a guy named Jamie Galloway? Uh, Jamie and I think Will Hart, and I can't remember who all it was, but Jamie and Will and a couple others went to Salem, Massachusetts. Was Bob Hazlett with them? Oh, I like him. He's fun. He scares me. Okay. (laughs) If you ever do anything wrong, don't hang out with Bob Hazlett. He'll know. Anyway, okay, okay, I'm just telling you right now. He just knows, he knows way too much stuff. Okay, okay, but, but here's the deal. In the midst of all that, it's fun. It's just absolutely fun. But they went up to Salem, Massachusetts when they're having the big thing with all the witches and the, and the warlocks and the seances and all that kind of stuff. And they set up a tent and got words of knowledge and people got healed and, and it freaked them out. And, and witches and warlocks came by and said, where do you get your power? And they said, oh, it's called Jesus. And they went, whoa, okay. <laughs> it's just fun. Here's the deal. We shouldn't be freaked out by them. They ought to be freaked out by us. Yes. If we're walking in the authority and understanding our position, I, can I say this? This is just really huge to me. But if you're walking in your authority, you understand your position, you've got your identity solid. There should be nothing in the world that scares you. Why do you say that? Because Luke 10, 19 said so. Behold, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. What's this? Behold, I give you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. What's the next part of that? And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Now, does it say that or not? It says that's a direct quote. I mean, and it's, it's cool because it's the red stuff. Yeah. Like if you don't have time to read everything, read the red stuff. It's really good. Okay. <laughs> And in the midst of that, Jesus says, nothing shall by any means hurt you. So we shouldn't be freaked out by stuff. As a matter of fact, here's what I believe. I believe that we need, and hear it in the right way, because I don't say this, and I don't want to say this like in, it, with any kind of, uh, to get weird or anything. We should never be intimidated. We ought to be the intimidator. Do you understand what I just said? Here's the deal. You, you have a falling out with a person. Just watch this. This is just a real life scenario. But you have a falling out with a person or something goes on. It's kinda, it seems weird or whatever. But you know that your heart's been pure. You haven't done anything wrong. You, you know that your heart's been in the right place. You haven't done anything wrong. And then you're out in public. You're out in the store. You're out in a, in a restaurant or whatever. And you see them. You should not be freaked out because they're now in the same store you're in. Why? Because your heart's pure. So you can't be intimidated by something like that because your heart's in the right place. I hope I'm making sense. I, I, I know what I'm saying. Uh, I, I, okay, let's get real transparent because I live in the realm of transparency and I do pretty well with that. But I, I knew that there was a guy in, in our community who was a, very against our church and very against me and my wife and, and, and some stuff. And, and I knew he was going around and some, some lies had been told and some things had been said. And, and I never, can I say this? I never ran around trying to defend myself. I don't think we have to spend our life trying to defend ourselves. Why? Because I believe the Holy Spirit will defend you. Matter of fact, if you're out to get revenge, you're in trouble. Your heart's in a messed up place, and God can't even intervene on your behalf. Matter of fact, he said, vengeance is mine. Let me repay it. You just keep loving people. Can I tell you something? Here, here's a big deal. About, about 
oh, maybe about 10 or 11, maybe 12 years ago, the Lord really spoke to my heart about something because I was trying to figure out exactly what a pastor should do. What is a pastor's job description? You know what I mean? Because a pastor wears about a thousand hats. So as a pastor, I'm running around trying to figure out, God, what do you really expect out of me? Because some days, do you ever feel like you're running around in circles, but you never got anywhere? Cool, I'm not alone. That's a good day. Okay, (laughs) here's the deal. Because in the midst of that, all this stuff's going on. And I'm asking, Lord, Lord, what really is my job description? What am I supposed to be? Because I don't want to focus. I, I really believe the enemy tries to get us to focus on so many things. Because if you try to do 17 things, when you were only called to do two, you won't do justice to the 17 and you'll, you'll miss the two. You know what I mean? Maybe it's better to do two things really well than 17 things half well. I hope that makes sense, okay? In the process of that, what I was trying to, and I'm asking the Lord, and the Lord really spoke to me. Holy Spirit spoke to me, and it was actually one of those middle of the night, wake up, wide awake things, and you know, because I don't wake up wide awake in the middle of the night unless it's God, and, and, and some, well, anyway, <laughs> here's the deal. It's one of them things where you just kind of shoot straight up in bed, and the Lord speaking in my heart. He said, here's your job. Love people and give them truth. Love people and give them truth, and I said, wow, that's really cool. He said, it's for all the ministry. Welcome to the ministry. You're a royal priesthood. Do you know what your job description is? Love people and give them truth. Love people and give them truth. If you can live in the realm of just loving people and giving them truth, you know what? You're successful. I hope you get that. I hope that just so saturates your heart to the place where you go, wow, that's like awesome. Because all I'm supposed to do really is love people and give them truth. That's a big deal to me. I hope that's a big deal to you. Let me take you through. So anyway, the deal was, was that this guy had been, he'd, he'd kind of, uh, he'd even gone in, my wife was working at a bank at that time, he'd even gone into the bank and kind of said some stupid things in the bank and made some accusations that were totally unfounded and crazy. Uh, and, and the vice president of the bank actually was friends with my wife and he kind of defended her in a place that was very, very strong. And it was just, it was just a pretty good day for God. I thought, you know, because you just saw God coming to her rescue and it made my heart smile because uh, that's the whole husband thing you're going to protect and whatever. And, you know, so anyway, God just moved and it was a pretty neat thing. But what I found was at one point, and I'll be real honest with you, at that point in my life, uh, the first thing I felt was some people just need to die. <laughs> Do you ever feel like that? You know what I mean? Yeah, like kill them and let God sort them out. It'll be all right. You know, <laughs> and then I realized, okay, that's not Holy Spirit. It's a spirit. It's just not a holy one. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I thought, okay, that's not God. Got to back off of that. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden I got to the place where I felt sorry. And that's a good thing. Watch this. You feel bad for somebody who lives in that arena. Do you understand that? It's almost like my heart was breaking for that person because I can't even imagine living with that kind of junk in your trunk. You okay when I say that? And there's stuff there that just needs to change. And it's just, I felt really, really bad for this guy. And then, and then I saw him. I saw him, it, actually, it was back uh, a long time ago when the Keystone Diner looked a whole lot different than it did now. I walked into Keystone Diner and he was there and I walked right over and hugged him. You know why? Because I wasn't gonna allow him and his actions to intimidate me when I knew my heart was pure and I hadn't done anything wrong. Do you understand what I just said? So no matter where you go or what's going on in your life, here's the, and it's a big deal. You got to understand that with the, with authority, with dominion, 
with, with, with everything. Luke 10 and 19, a huge text scripture for my life. This is what I believe. I just believe there's a place where you and I walk because we understand our identity, we understand our creative value, and we understand who we are. And it's never, and please hear this, that can never be in a place of arrogance. It's always got to be in a place of love. But as long as you're doing it in a place of love, it's never arrogance, it's always confidence. There's a difference here that we have to be able to define. Because I think two things have happened. One is we've allowed the world to dominate us. And then we got, we got puffed up with the idea, oh, wait a minute, I know my authority now. And then we turned and almost got arrogant. And it can't, if it's covered in love, it can't be arrogance. Arrogance is confidence without love. That was a good word. I just made that up. That had to be the Holy Ghost. I'm not that smart. Okay, <laughs> here's the deal. Arrogance it's just confidence without love. But if you, you can have confidence, you know it's confidence when it's covered in love. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. Okay? So we're walking in that place of authority. We're walking in that position of power. Sue and I were talking a little earlier before service. Do you remember, Sue, we were talking about the, the scripture that you gave me, the prince of this world. Where is it? John 12, 31, okay? Because they'll need that scripture verse on the, on the internet. But John 12 and 31, go to that real quick if you can, because this one talked to you about this. We're going we're gonna to get to a threshold covenant. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. But I just really felt like we needed, to, we needed to settle a couple of things in our hearts. John 12, verse 31. I want you, I want you to see this, okay? Let, let's start about verse 20. Man, Wow. Okay, let's start at verse 23, <laughs> okay, because it's really hard to start at 31. So start at 23, go up there, because it's in red. I love the red stuff, okay? Jesus answered them, saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified, okay? I want to I preface this with this statement. We know that there's 66 books in the Bible. We know that there's 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. Am I right or not? I think most of you in here should probably know that already. The idea behind it is that if you read Matthew, it has 28 chapters, and we call that the New Testament. But the truth of the matter is 27 chapters of Matthew are still in the Old Testament because Jesus hasn't died yet. Do you understand that Jesus lived his life in the Old Testament? You okay with that? If you read Mark, there's 16 chapters, 15 of them are in the Old Covenant. If you read, you understand what I'm saying? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are really all about the old covenant still. Jesus has come. He's ushering in a new covenant. But you got to understand, the testament doesn't take place till the death of the testator. Everybody okay when I say that? Come on. My last will and testament isn't any good at all to my kids until I'm dead. And then once I'm dead, my last will and testament now empowers them to pay all the bills I don't have money to pay for. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. Here's the deal, okay? Follow this, because this is strong stuff. But we've got to understand something. Jesus is saying, now the hour's come. Okay? That's what he's saying. There's a, there's a shift now that's taking place on the earth. You okay with where I'm at? Y'all understand when I say that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, really the majority of every one of those, all but the last chapters are Old Testament because Jesus hasn't died. You okay with that? Because some of y'all are looking at me like, what do you mean? Because okay, I thought Malachi. But you understand that Jesus lived under the law. Remember that he came not to destroy the law, but what? Fulfill the law. 
Y'all got that, right? So, so when we see that, we've got to keep that mindset, is that Jesus is walking out his life under the old covenant because he's going to usher in the new covenant at Golgotha. Okay, so watch this. This is powerful. He says, the hour has come. The Son of Man will be glorified. Verily, verily. Y'all know that, right? That's, that's really cool stuff. I love the verily, verilys. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I can't read that without seeing Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> Every time I read verily, verily, I think of Foghorn Leghorn going, I say, I say boy, look at here, boy. I say, I say boy, look at, look at here. Son, I'm a talking to you, boy. <laughs> Because that's what verily, verily means in the Greek. Okay, <laughs> okay. it means look at here, boy. Okay, okay. <laughs> I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Okay, you know that he's talking about himself. Except a corn of wheat fall to the ground and die. He was the seed that God was planting in the earth. What? One son planted to gain many sons and daughters. You understand that, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty common. Watch the next part of this. If it dies, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. That's really strong language. That's really strong language, but you need to understand what he just said. He said, if you determine to live your life for you, you're in a heap of trouble. But when you give your life away, because it doesn't mean anything compared to what God has for you, you gave your life to him. Do you understand that? Then you keep it to life eternal. That's so cool. Like that's really, really good stuff right there. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Isn't that cool? Follow me. What's he saying? I'm your example. I thank God for the models. We talked last night. I was actually, uh, we taught a lot of classes yesterday. But last night in the 7 o'clock class in this room, uh, we talked a lot about thanking God for the models that are around us. But understand something. We have one example. Don't ever miss that. Like the Bible says, give honor to whom honor's due. And we thank God for great men who have come in. There's some people that have come into my life that have really raised the bar for me. I'm so thankful for the men that have come along and raised the bar, challenged my heart, caused me to see things differently. I, th that is so my desire. It's because there's people who have come along that have, that have changed the lens for me. I want to change the lens for others. Does that make sense? I want to help people see things differently from a different perspective. Yeah. To see, to see things from heaven's view rather than from earth to heaven. I'm living from heaven to earth. I don't know if that makes sense to everybody. Some of this stuff really messes with me. I get so excited about it. But you got to understand, remember, I don't know if it was Tuesday or Monday. I can't even remember when I first started talking to you about, about the idea that several years back my life really, really shifted. <clears throat> One of the first shifts that took place with that Dr. John, who's a part of our congregation, Dr. John Mulliken, handed me a CD from a guy named Bill Johnson. And I thought, who is this? And I put it on a shelf. And then about a week later, it thumped my heart. And I thought, well, I'm, I'm going on a trip. So I can't even remember where I was going, but my car is a CD player. I thought, I'll throw it in the car and just listen to this guy and see if it's any good. Because he seemed to be all excited about it. But you can't take that at heart because John's all excited about everything. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm like, okay, whatever. Okay. So, so I threw it, in the, threw it in the CD player and started listening to it. And I thought, whoa. That was pretty weird. But I wasn't ready for it yet. Who's been there? Yeah. Come on. It rocked my world. Some of the things he said, I thought, what is up with that? And I did. And, and you know, when you're listening to a CD, it's like you can't go back and check it all out because I'm driving. And, and if you're driving, trying to flip pages in your Bible and read and drive, you, you are in trouble. Okay? <laughs> so, so, so I listened to it. 
And it was, it was right after that I got the book that I talked about from Miles Monroe. You know, I, oh. And every, Rediscovering the Kingdom was the name of that book. And then I'm reading a book and then I'm throwing more CDs. And then guess what Dr. John's doing? Oh, here, 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 here. <laughs> the guy gives me like 70,000 CDs. So my, now my desk is piled. You know what I mean? And, 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 you're, and you're messed up with stuff. <laughs> what happened was there's a place, and I, and I read this. I want you to see what I'm saying in this. I began to understand when he said, follow me, that I could actually be like Jesus. That totally rocked my world. Shane messed me up the other day because he said Jesus, in his humility, held back so that he wouldn't be the high watermark. That's why he says, greater works than these will you do. I, I think that's awesome. Like that messes with me. And I, I had to meditate on it. I can tell you something. My head goes, rrr, rrr. does your head spin like a lot? Like you've been in here with Dan for what? How many weeks your head's spinning? I don't even have to ask you. Okay. <laughs> and then isn't it challenging that you try to memorize all this stuff or try to get it all in at one time? And it's just not going to happen. But you've got to take nugget here and a nugget there. Let me follow this out and then we'll get into some other things here. But let's, fo- let's follow through with this, okay? I love this. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servants be. I love that. Where I am, I, that's where my servant will be. You know what I believe? I think that's really cool. I think what he just said is, where you see me moving, you'll see my people. And where my people are, I'll be moving. That's pretty cool to me. I'm going to talk to you because I, I, I need to. There's a, real, there's a real stirring in my heart that we, we've got to be careful because I, I, I honestly believe we're raising up a, a lot of junkies that want to run from conference to conference to conference to conference. And I want to be careful what I'm saying, but I'll, I'll say it real clear. I don't know that we need to chase the move of God. I think we need to become the move of God. I get excited when God's doing something over here or over there. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm all, I, I, I love to see what God's doing. But I, I don't know. Sometimes I, I get concerned that folks are going from one conference to another, to another, to another, to another. But if you're going to all these conferences, but there's no change in your life, you're just a junkie waiting for your next fix. I hope you hear that. Because we can get addicted to some things. And don't hear that in a bad way. I want to talk to you about this. I guess I better clarify. When I say that, what I'm saying is, nothing wrong with going to a conference, but we ought to take something away that transforms us. Because according to 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, we ought to be going from glory to glory to the image of Christ. But if you look at your life and realize that over the last five years, I've been to 97 different conferences but I'm no different today than I was five years ago, then there's something we ought to be looking at saying, wait a minute, what's this doing? I don't want to chase the move of God. I want to become the move of God. See, he says, where I am, that's where my servant will be. And I believe that that's just where the servants are. That's where he's going to be. And, 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 
Let me read a couple more verses and then I'll, I'll, I'll be able to nail this where I'm at because uh, I know what's in my heart. He says, where I am, there shall my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Okay? Him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Maybe every one of us ought to have that on our heart. Did you ever wonder, can I say this? I talked about this the other day. The greatest tragedy in life is not death. It's living life without purpose. Jesus just said, this is the purpose I came into the world. How many of us, whether it's through the internet or in the room or whatever, have wondered in our own heart, why am I here? What's my purpose? And I think the answer is pretty obvious. We're here to manifest Jesus. And that feels pretty good, but that's way too general for some of us. Like, I know I'm supposed to manifest Jesus, but what am I supposed to be doing while I'm manifesting Jesus? Why am I, why am I here? What's my real purpose? See, for me, and, and I, I guess it's been a pretty amazing trip for me, and I don't even understand, because I don't know how everybody else lives. I know how I live. But I'm, I'm about 19 years old. I've been saved a little over a year, and I'm at an altar praying, tears running down my face, and God called me into ministry, and I knew it was to pastor. I, I can take you to the spot exactly, tell you about the night that God gave me a shepherd's heart. And I have no questions. I've never challenged that. I've never questioned that. Uh, I, I started studying to get into the, to, to, to ministry because I knew God gave me a shepherd's heart, began pastoring, and I've been pastoring ever since. I, now, I've done a thousand other things while pastoring, because when you're pastoring small churches, you do whatever you got to do to keep the wolf from the door you know so you everything from driving school bus and selling insurance and knocking on doors when what all kind of things but in the process of all that what I want you to understand is this there was never a day where I wondered what my purpose was because that was defined for me on a night on a Sunday night in Butler Pennsylvania at an altar in a little old church that's now a gym okay <laughs> okay but 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 here's what I want you to understand I understood my purpose on that night, but I've counseled literally thousands of people that probably one of their greatest challenges is they don't know what the will of God is for their life. I believe this, the will of God, preach the gospel, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out devils. And if you happen to do that while you're a carpenter, be a carpenter. Be the best carpenter you want. I do a lot of mentoring classes. I tell everybody in my mentoring class the same thing. Find something you absolutely love to do, get somebody to pay you to do it, and life is good. I'm doing it. <laughs> Remember what I told you? My, I found my job description was to love God, or lo- love, really love God and love people. Yep. Love people and give them truth. That's what I told you. Love people and give them truth. Love people and give them truth. And I realized that on the night God told me that, that was really all of our job descriptions. Your job description is to love people and give them truth, right? Here's the deal. My job is to love people and give them truth. Your job is to love people and give them truth. The difference is I get a paycheck for it. <laughs> Never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. But here's the deal. Okay. The big deal is this, and it's pretty simple, is that when I read this and I start to understand this, what he's saying is, he's saying, for this cause came I into this hour. I'm here for this reason, this purpose. And he, he understood that the, the, the cross was looming before him. This is final moment stuff that he's talking about. And he's getting ready to go. Watch this. So he says, Father, glorify your name. I believe our job description is this, that we would love people, that we would give them truth, and that our life would be so lived that the name of the Father would be glorified because we lived on the earth. You ought to be able to look in the mirror and understand the person who's looking at you, the world is a better place because you're here. The world's a better place because you're in it. You ought to feel good about that. 
It just challenged you to think that way, didn't it? Isn't that amazing? Because I can tell you something. I come over and over to this congregation in this house and keep telling them, you're amazing. You need to be able to look in the mirror and tell yourself you're amazing. You need to tell yourself you're amazing and actually believe it because there's an amazing God living inside of you. There's an amazing God who lives inside of you. You can't help but be amazing. You're amazing and it's not your fault. <laughs> you can't even help it. You're ama- I'm amazing. I can't help myself. I tried not to be, but he's in me. See, see, do you understand that kind of logic? You're okay with that. Don't feel like that's arrogance. That's confidence. There's a God who's inside of you that's loving people. Come on, here's what's happening. And this is so true. Please hear this in all the right way. But there's an amazing God that lives inside of you that makes you amazing. And that amazing God wants you to go, watch this, and love the hell out of people. (laughs) Please hear that in the right way. But that's what you're called for. So the world has to be a better place because you're in it if you're really doing what you're supposed to do. Love people. Give them truth. Does that make sense? Now watch this. Jesus says something really cool. Father, glorify thy name. Shouldn't we all say that? Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I've both glorified it and I'll glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake. And Jesus answered and said, this voice didn't come because of me, but for your sakes. Do you know what he just said? I didn't need that affirmation. It wasn't for me. I know what I'm here for. Can I talk to you real plain? Most of the body of Christ is on an approval addiction. We're so seeking the approval of men. It's challenging. I know that because I lived there for a really, really, really long time. I spent most of my ministry wanting to please people. God really spoke to my heart about it. He totally wrecked my world one day. But I ran around for years trying to keep every member of the church happy. That's why my church never ran over 40 or 50 in all the small churches I pastored. Because you, if you're trying to keep everybody happy, you can't do it. It's not even possible. And you'll end up chasing more people away than you will bringing them in. Because if you're running around trying to make them happy, you're not even giving them truth. You're just giving them enough truth to keep them satisfied. And I don't know how many different times the Lord would speak to my heart about telling the people this or, or really speaking, man, you need to address that. But I knew if I addressed that, it'd probably ruffle some feathers and maybe some people would get hurt and upset and they'd leave. So I wouldn't do it. And one night, and this is very, very specific, and I, I, I doubt if I'll ever forget this, but one night as I'm praying and the Lord is speaking to my heart about addressing a very special issue in a church that I was pastoring, I said, Lord, they're not going to like that. They're not going to like because it was a major thing that was going on in the church. And, and I knew if I said something about it, if I really addressed it, it was going to be a challenging thing. It was going to really challenge some people. And I said, Lord, they're not going to like that. And he said, and the Lord said, let me ask you, are you leading them or are they leading you? Yeah. Do you understand what I just said? Because I called you to lead them. Yet, because I'm trying to please people, they began leading me, and I didn't even realize it. So then I began to understand, wait a minute, this has to be different. But I promise you, if you run around and try to please everybody, it will drive you nuts, and your hair will fall out of your head. 
I'm telling you, it's just going to happen. Here's the deal. You can't live that way. The idea behind it is when I read this, Jesus just said, Father didn't speak to because of my sake. He spoke for your sake. I wasn't looking for the affirmation. I already know my identity. I already know what I'm called to do. I already know the hour that's coming. He just prophesied his own death, his own gloom. He said, I'm going to go. I'm going to be delivered into the hands of sinful men. I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'm rising again. He said, he didn't speak for me, spoke for you. You guys needed to hear that. There's a place where you and I'll get, and it's really, really imperative that we hear this. There's a place where we'll get, where you'll speak the truth in love, and you know it's going to ruffle some feathers. But I got to tell you something. As a pastor, if I don't ruffle your feathers once in a while, I'm not helping you. I kind of learned a long time ago, if all you're going to do is pet people on the back of the head, you'll pet them straight to hell. And you can't live that way. I can't live with that in my heart anymore. God really shifted my heart. It's a pretty neat place to be. So most of the folks that are in, in, in leadership here or on, in the mentoring classes with me, they know if I start a conversation out with you like this, you know I love you, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, they know what's following that. Because honestly, believe the only way you're ever going to speak into somebody's life is first they've got to believe that you love them. You have their best interest and not yours. But because they believe you love them and because they know that you have their best interest, not your best interest, when you, when you address them in a place where there's correction needed, where there's something that, that has to be changed or challenged in their life, then when you do that, you're doing it from a place of love. And you're not doing it because you have a need. You're doing it because you love them and want to bring correction to a place where there's fulfillment in their life. But I believe the only way you're ever going to have a platform to speak into somebody's life is they have to believe that you love them. Does that make sense? That's a good word right there. So he says, this voice didn't come for my sake. It really came for your sakes. Okay? Now is the judgment of this world. Watch what he says now. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Anybody see that? Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Who's he talking about? Is he talking about Satan? Yes. You think he's talking about Satan? Do you really think he's talking about Satan? He is. Okay. <laughs> okay. And you're absolutely right. Okay. Now here's the deal. He says, now the prince of this world will be cast out. Why? Because we're shifting. What's happening? He's talking about coming into a new covenant. Remember that we talked about your unconditional authority and the authority that you have? Do you understand that what he was saying was at that point, up until this point, you know what? Satan w- was, was, I'm going to say this, but, but Satan was manipulating and dominating men. And now what he's saying is, wait a minute, he doesn't even have the power and the authority. Because once this new covenant comes and we come under the blood of Jesus Christ, he said, watch what he says. All power is given to me in heaven and on earth. Right? What's he saying? Is, uh, come on, in Matthew 28, behold, I give unto you, what? Power. Authority. Luke 10, 19, what's he say? I give unto you power. What's that mean? Authority. It's exousia. See, what, what he was saying is now the prince of this world's cast out. So when we understand our authority, when we understand our identity, what he was saying is, wait a minute, Satan was running on a rampage, but here's the deal. Men would stand, but you know what? They were always challenged, and the only sacrifices they had couldn't make men's hearts clean. That's what Hebrews, the beginning of Hebrews, is all about. The book of Hebrews really is all about Jesus is better. It starts out, Jesus is better than the angels. Then it says, Jesus is better than Moses. Then it says, Jesus is better than the law. If you study the book of Hebrews from that mentality, you'll see it over and over. The writer of Hebrews simply is saying Jesus is better because he brought us a better covenant. So what he's saying is now you take your place. 
What was he saying? We're coming back to redemption. The restoration of everything that Adam lost is found right here in this verse. Now the prince of this world's cast out. What was he saying? We're going to restore things to the way it was supposed to be. We're going to get things back. Redemption's really taking its place. What he's saying is we're bringing things back to the original value, the way it was meant to be. We're going to get this thing reestablished. Repent. Change the way you think. I've come and brought my kingdom with me. Everybody clear on that? That's just really, really strong in my heart. I had some different people that were asking some questions. I just wanted to come back and reestablish what we were trying to say over the last couple of days. When we read this verse, we can understand. When he says now, here's the transitional time. Now we're reestablishing the kingdom of God on the earth. That's why he kept preaching, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Y'all got it? That's really, really strong. But that establishes your place to rule and reign as priests and kings. That's an amazing thing. Walk with me through this, and I'll, I'll, I'll just show you this. Let's do this. Let's go. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go to Exodus 12. We're going to talk about a covenant that God makes with man, okay? I need to ask you, we're going to talk about Passover and the threshold covenant. If we can understand that from a position of our authority and our identity, this thing's going to be fun, okay? We will probably spend... A lot of time talking about this. But I want you to see it from the perspective of your position. Remember a couple of days ago I was talking about the pastor and the deacon and the, and the whole mess with that? That, that? that so burns in my heart that just as that pastor was allowing that deacon to run the church because he didn't understand his position or his authority... The church has allowed satanic manipulation because we didn't allow our position or our authority. I find it an amazing thing that Jesus turns and addresses Peter when Peter says, Lord, I'll never let you die. There's no way we could let that happen. And Jesus turns and looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. That's a strong phrase. That's a strong phrase. Do you understand? At the supper table, Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. That's a challenging thought. When he says that, We need to understand there's a place for every one of us. Satan has desired to have you, to sift you as wheat. Watch what he says then. But I have prayed, what? That your faith fail not. That your faith fail not. Did Peter miss it? Absolutely he missed it. Did he deny Jesus three times? Did his faith fail? No, it didn't. See, Peter messed up. Peter failed. But his faith didn't fail. Why? Because after he failed, he realized what it did. Jesus looks at him. The cock crows. He remembers the words of Christ. What happened? Oh, my goodness. And he runs. And the Bible says he wept bitterly. 
history, and I don't know this, history, and again, part of that's my Catholic roots, so I've got to be careful what I understand is from Joseph Arminius and history and all the different things. But what I can tell you is history would have said that he was actually scarred because of the teardrops, because of all the tears that he had cried in his life, that he actually had scars coming out both sides of his eyes. I don't even know if that's true or not, but there was a history thing, a little blurb that I read about that. I thought, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And part of that was referenced back to when he wept bitterly over the, over the denial of Christ. But here's the deal. Jesus says, I have prayed that your faith fail not. Somewhere the faith of Peter got a hold and he came back in repentance, changed the way he thought, and we find him. Isn't that amazing that we find him right back with the group? Can I talk to you about the church today? Because we need to get this. This is so powerful. Peter messed up. Peter denied Christ. Peter didn't do right. He went out. He went bitterly. But you know where we find him? The next time you see Peter, he's in the upper room. The disciples are with him. <laughs> James is there. John's there. They are there with him. And you know what I think is so cool? They didn't ostracize him. They didn't say, oh, here comes the denier. We don't want nothing to do with him. Here comes the one who failed. You failed. And they marked him and branded him for life. No, they embraced him and they brought him back in. And he rises up to be a leader again. Right. Hello. I think that's amazing. <laughs> You should come here on Sundays. I'd like to. <laughs> You'll see me when I really get round up. <laughs> I didn't even stomp, did I? Listen, okay. But here's the deal, and you've got to follow this because this is really, really powerful. Isn't it great that they embraced him? Come on, they didn't kick him out of the club. It'll have to be two years till you can be a disciple again. <laughs> you are not licensed and do not preach on the day of Pentecost. <laughs> Come on. They just loved him. They loved him back to truth. They loved him because it was absolutely necessary. Do you understand that? That's really strong to me. Jesus said, I've prayed that your faith fail not. There had to be something inside of Peter that would rise up, that would say, I messed up. I wondered this. Does your mind spin on all these kind of things? Because I wondered this. I wondered in the midst of the tears crying and everything else. He remembered the day he got out of the boat. And he walked on the water for a little while. Then he got his eyes off of Jesus. He began to sink. Do you remember his cry? Lord, save me. Why? I'm sinking. I wonder if that same scenario didn't play through his head on after the denial Lord, I'm sinking again. But you were there and you rescued me before. Rescue me again. Isn't that amazing? Makes me want to cry. Because I got to tell you something. I'm so glad for a faithful high priest who is touched with the feelings of my infirmities. He knows me. You know what's amazing to me? He knows my heart. Because I'm convinced that Jesus knew Peter's heart. Watch this. I have prayed that your faith fail not. And when you're converted... I wonder what that word converted really meant there. Maybe he said, when you change the way you think. Come on. When you start thinking differently again, when you're converted, strengthen the brethren. When you're converted, find a place where your strength grows again and come back and then take everything that I've poured into you and poured into them. Strengthen the brethren. Isn't that cool that he said, now, Peter, you're, you're going to come on because Jesus knew Peter was going to mess up. He told him before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. Come on. He knew that. But he says to him, when you're converted, you be the strength to them. Isn't that amazing? What did he say? 
He said, when you come through the fire, tell them what it was like. And help them because I got news for you. They'll be in the fire too. Oh, I love that. See, I love this. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 says two are better than one. Why? Because if one falls in the ditch, the other's there to help them. Guess what? Here's what I like. If I'm the one that's in the ditch and you help me, guess what? When you're in the ditch, I'm going to remember you. Does that make sense? Come on. Thank God for the people that pulled us out of ditches. Thank God for the people who didn't give up on us even when we gave up on ourselves. Thank God for the people that loved us back into the kingdom when we found our way drifting away from it. I got to tell you something, man. I've got a lot of friends out there who have struggled at different times in their life. And you know what? I've been there for them. But you know, there's times whenever I beat my head against a wall and they said, hold on, you're hurting the wall. Okay, <laughs> come on. And they want to love you back. and you Because you don't know. And I'm going to say this, but as a pastor, pastor in 28, 29 years, I was something like that now. Here's the deal. You don't know how many Mondays I quit. <laughs> Thank God for Pastor Lori. I wouldn't be here. I'm like, I'm calling the overseer. I'm, I'm done with this bunch. <laughs> As a young pastor, you don't know how many. I'm telling you, Mondays were bad. If you had a bad Sunday, you just had a bad Monday. Why? Because you were. I, my thinking was so messed up. It's a miracle I'm still here. Jesus must love me. Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. When it comes down to it, but you understand what I'm saying. Thank God. Wow. I'm convinced of his amazing love. It's awesome. Go with me to Exodus or Jenna. Pick one. <laughs> Let's try Exodus. It will all preach. Okay, but go to Exodus 12. Okay, go to Exodus 12. That's where I'm trying to get to. I want to talk to you today. I want to talk to you about Passover and the threshold covenant. All that other stuff was just preliminary. No extra offering will be received. Okay, <laughs> okay. Go to Exodus 12. Okay. This is probably one of the neat things. And I found this. I was doing some research a while back, and I found this, and it just totally rocked my world because I began to see some things in this that were so powerful. But to understand the threshold covenant, we have to understand Passover, okay? If you look in your Bibles, I told you yesterday, if you look all through your Bibles for the threshold covenant, you won't find it, okay? Did anybody research threshold covenant on a computer or anything? Any of you guys? I don't know if some people might Google it or whatever. If you Google it, you'll find all kind of stuff on it. It's kind of cool. A little sidebar there. But here's the deal. And to me, this is fun. There's some neat stuff in this. Go to Exodus 12. We're going to look. And you, most of you are familiar with the Passover. But I want to read a couple of verses. Let, let me just read a little bit. And we're going to read. And, and we'll kind of tear this thing up and talk about it a little. Let's see where God gets us. Okay. Exodus chapter 12. Watch what he says. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will be unto you the uh, the beginning of months. It'll be the first month of the year to you. You understand that he's initiating Passover, right? Now, if you're in this room, you're probably a student enough to know that Passover, everything about Passover is pointing to Jesus. What I love about these first two verses is he says, Passover starts with new beginnings. Passover brings new beginnings. I got to tell you something I love. Jesus didn't fix the old me. He made a brand new me. Oh, that should just make somebody smile. He didn't fix the old me. He made a brand new me. See, one of the things that, one of the things I see the body of Christ struggling with is, well, I remember when I used to be like this, or I used to be like that. I'm not even real sure. I kind of struggle sometimes with some of even testimonies uh, of what we used to be, because frankly, that's not who I used to be. That man died. 
That's a dead man. Honestly, when I was, up until I was 18 years old, I lived a hellish lifestyle. There was stupid stuff I did and all kinds of dumb things. And I, I could blame all of it on my culture and, and the fact that raised with a single mom and no dad and all the stuff that goes with that. The fact of the matter is I made a whole bunch of bad choices. And then here's what happened. I died. So that man doesn't even exist anymore. Amen. But when I was 18 years old, this new being came into being. I'm a man without a past. I don't know if that makes sense to everybody, but honestly, that's the way I see it. I'm a man without a past. I have no past. <laughs> Yay. That just feels good. Yeah. So when's your birthday? <laughs> Do you understand what I just said? Yeah, maybe that's why they call it new birth. <laughs> it's a new birth. Why? Because the old man died and now there's a new man. And the old man doesn't exist anymore. And we got to get to that. Because here's what will happen is, if you focus on your past, the devil will remind you of all your junk. And one day, it's going to try to sneak back up on you. But if you live with a, as you're a man without a past, you don't have no past, your past can't come back to haunt you. Amen. Yay! That's a good day. So here's the deal. He talks about past, and he says it's time of new beginnings. I just think that's really, really cool. And here's what makes it a new beginning. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of the month, they'll take unto them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers. Watch what it says. A lamb for a house. Yay. Can I tell you there's still a lamb for your house? Come on. There's a lamb for your house. I could take that two different ways. I can take that and say there's a lamb for this house, and he lives in this house. I can take that and say that my wife, my daughter, my son, and all the extended family is my house. There's a lamb for my house. You might have some kids out there that are wandering and they're away from the fold, but i got to tell you something. There's a lamb for your house. Some of you need to claim the lamb for your house. You need to claim the lamb for your husband, the lamb for your wife, the lamb for your son, the lamb for your daughter, because he said there's a lamb for your house. I honestly believe there's household faith. I honestly believe that you, as a believer, have the power and authority to bring your family under the blood. That might challenge some of your thinking. And I realize Matthew 25, every virgin had their own lamp. And I understand all that. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a couple of places. There's, if you go back to Acts, what, about 16, you're going to find Lydia and a Philippian jailer who both, because of their faith, their house came in. I believe there's something to household faith. And we need to start pleading the blood over our families. And I know pleading the blood is not a biblical phrase. It's an old Pentecostal phrase. But I'm going to tell you something. There is something powerful to that. I challenge you, man. I challenge you. We are living in an incredibly... This is an accelerated time in the body of Christ. I don't even know if everybody understands that. But there, th- th- this, I'm watching... Can I say this? I'm watching people get born again. And six months into the faith, they have a deeper understanding than most people that are 10 years into faith. I'm watching God do things that totally are blowing my mind. But I'm seeing people accelerate in their understanding and their knowledge. And frankly, can I say this? And I can say this. I'm pretty clear on this. And there's a a grace for it. I got a guy. He he comes to our church. Some of you guys know Bill Holtzman. And and about two years ago, two and a half years ago, Bill got saved. He got radically saved. He's in my mentoring class in the evenings. And Bill and I hang out together and we talk quite a bit because he has a boat and I like to fish. Here's the deal. (laughs) Okay. Okay. But but in the process of all that, I'm only kidding. But here's the deal in all that. And I think what's really, really fun is this, is that Bill is in a place right now that is absolutely phenomenal. And God's done amazing things in his life. And here's why. He didn't have a whole bunch of stuff. So when we start talking about all that, Jack, Vicky's in our class. She understands. He was talking last night because we're talking 
talking about coming through all these old junk stuff and all this stuff. And Bill's standing there, and he actually said, I don't have a clue what you people are talking about. He's like, what in the world are you talking What are you talking about church hurts? What's that look like? And I'm thinking, yay. Okay. <laughs> Do you understand that? Isn't that amazing? But I'm watching God accelerate people's growth and accelerate things. I'm so, I, I will challenge the youth that are in this room. Some of you that are here right now, you have incredible opportunity for the teaching and the training that you're getting right now. I, I'm telling you, most of us old folks in this room would have given our left arm to have this kind of teaching when we were your age. And the fact of the matter is, if you, it's up to you with what you do with it because you can either take it and run with it or you can put it in your pocket. I tell you something, man, this is an exciting time. There's an acceleration in the body of Christ today. It's like nothing I've ever seen before. Oh, I'm excited about it. Can you tell? <laughs> I want to read this. There's a lamb for a house. If the household's too little for the lamb, then let him and his neighbor next to him uh, take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. He's, he's preparing them for pa- Everybody knows, I'm sorry, in, in the event that you might not understand this, Exodus 12, they are now getting ready. They're going to do the Passover, and then they're leaving out of Egypt. They have been in Egyptian bondage. If I'm right, I think it was 430 years. I know it was at least 400. I think it was 430 if I remember right. But they're about to leave out. They're going to go through Ramses, the treasure city, where they're going to get all the silver and all the gold. It's an amazing thing. They're getting paid for 400 years of slavery. Yeah. Why? Because God will recompense his people. Oh, that'll preach. Watch this, man. (laughs) I could talk to you about that. But here's the deal. As they're coming out of Ramses, there's two million of them. I think that's absolutely amazing. And they're going to come out of there. But before they do, they're going to eat this Passover. Everybody okay? There's been nine plagues that have already hit. Most of you know that. Can I tell you something? Maybe maybe some of you know this. Maybe some of you don't know this. But you've got to understand something. Every one of the plagues that came into Egypt, like the plague of darkness... The plague of the frogs, the plague of the flies, you know what I mean? All these plagues that came upon them, even the boils, all those plagues were representing one of the gods of Egypt. The Egyptians served a myriad of gods. They were polygamous, not polygamous, just people that marry, isn't that people that marry too many? What were they called? Polytheistic, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that, I knew that word. Okay. <laughs> they were polytheistic, many gods, okay? And, and because, watch this, like, like they, they would worship Ra. Ra was the sun god. So God brings darkness over all the land. But there's light in the Israelite dwellings. What was he doing? He was showing the God of Israel was greater than all the gods of Egypt. Y'all follow that? Okay, watch this. They, they brought the flies and there's flies everywhere in Egypt. Why? Because Beelzebub was what? Lord of the flies. And they worshiped Beelzebub, Lord of the flies. But here's what happened. God showed up and put flies all over the Egyptians and not one fly in the Israelite camp. I like that camp. Do you realize there's 27,000 square feet in this building and one fly finds its way to your face? Did y'all get that? Come on. There's one fly in the whole place and finds its way. It's like, okay. In Jesus' name, die. Okay. It's like, oh. Check this out. Over and over, what God was doing was showing the God of Israel was greater than all the gods of Egypt. There's a reason I have to tell you that. Follow us, okay? He said, watch this. I like this. Your lamb will be without blemish, a male of the first year. You'll take it out from the sheep or from the goats. I don't know if you understand how that so points to Christ. That so points to Christ. Even the part of taking it out from the sheep or the goats. That'll preach a long time right there. But you've got to understand, coming out of that Jewish nation, over and over, he continues to rebuke 
the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees, what you call them? Hypocrites. From the sheep and the goats. I won't even get into all that. Let me, let me just go, okay? Yeah, I have to do this. There's a, real, there's a real pressing in my spirit for this. I'm going to talk to you. There's a thing that's troubling my heart. And I'm going to talk to you real plain about it all. But there's a... Just because somebody from church comes to you and says, I got a word from the Lord for you. And they begin to tell you, this is what God's speaking over your life. This is what God's saying. Please do not base your entire life off of what somebody just told you was a prophetic word because they came from the church. Do you understand what I just said? I believe, and this is what I believe, so you say, take it as you can. But I believe that every prophetic word spoken over your life ought to be a confirmation of what God is already speaking to you. Do you understand what I just said? It ought to be a confirmation of what God is already speaking to you. Here's why. I believe you're his sons. You're his daughters. You ought to hear from him. He said, my sheep hear my voice. I think you ought to hear God for yourself. And then a prophetic word could come and just confirm what you were hearing. If maybe you might have had a question about it. It's just a confirmation of what you believe God's already said. Now, if you get a prophetic word and it doesn't jive with you, it doesn't confirm something that God's speaking to you, there's a shelf that God put in your mind. Put it on that shelf. And when the day comes, you'll have a confirmation of that or there might be a day when it just falls off the shelf and you don't even remember it anymore but I believe this I believe that people's lives have been wrecked I believe that people have made bad decisions and bad choices because they got a yay yay from a yo yo (laughs) (laughs) that's strong but I'm telling you I've watched it way too many times I'm not, I'm not being harsh. Please don't think I'm being harsh. I thank God for the prophetic voice. We've got a lot of prophetic people in our church. We've got a lot of prophetic people, I believe, absolutely hear from God. And they have no problem coming, sharing with me what they hear from God. But I promise you, as the pastor of this house, here's what I do. I thank them very much for their heart. I thank them very much. And then I go to God to get a yes or a no, a confirmation or a denial, a, 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 a do it now or a wait. I hope you hear that. I've watched people, their whole life's been challenged. When he said that lamb was coming up out from the sheep and the goats, take it from the sheep or the goats, I gotta tell you something, just because a person comes to the church doesn't mean they're a sheep. Well, that was pretty strong. It was meant to be pretty strong. I just challenge you, please, man, weigh everything. Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy. There's a reason he says that. Because there was a day, even in the early church, where there was a lot of yay yays from yo-yos. <laughs> and in the process of that, he said, here, you want a word? Here's a more sure word of prophecy. I got to tell you something, man. I'll, I'll even go this far. Somebody comes to you and tells you the Lord said, and it doesn't measure up to this. It ain't God. 100%. It ain't God. I had a woman come to me. I'm going to be real transparent with you. I had a woman come to me, and she was really, uh, she was all but elated because, the, because she got a prophetic word that it was okay for her to now leave her husband because God wanted her to be happy. 
And I'm going to tell you something, that doesn't measure up to the Word of God. And you might say, but God doesn't want me to be unhappy. i got news for you. God's a lot more concerned about your covenant than He is about your happiness. Yeah. I'm telling you, you might not like that, but I'm not here to tell you what you like. I'm here to tell you what you need to know. The fact of the matter is, the Bible says that God's a God of covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps covenant with his people. If you open up that book, it's a book full of covenants. God's more concerned about your covenant than your happiness. And maybe what he's trying to do is bring us to a place where we can walk through that together. But I don't think God is going to violate his word because he wants you to be happy. Anybody hear what I just said? Y'all look like you don't like that, but I can tell you something. I'm telling you the truth. My job isn't my my job isn't to make you happy. My job is to love you and tell you the truth. So I believe truth. Truth is still there. This is strong stuff. But here's what I believe. This it's in there. And, and here's what he says: Take it from the sheep or the goats. I think there's a real reason he says that. He says, Keep it till the 14th day of the same month, and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it in the evening. They'll take of the blood, strike it on the two side posts and on the upper doorpost of the houses wherein they eat it. Okay? What did he say? There'd be blood at the doorway of the house. There's a reason it's at the doorway. I want you to catch that because we're going to talk in a little while about a threshold covenant, but there's blood at the doorway. Everybody understand what I just said? Watch this because it's really strong. Okay? I'll get to that later. There's some things that are just in my heart right now. Strike it on the two side posts, the upper door post of the house wherein they'll eat it. They'll eat of the flesh in that night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Eat not of it raw nor sodden at all with water, but roast it with fire, his head with his legs and the pertinence thereof. You'll let nothing of it remain until the morning and that which remains of it in the morning you'll burn with fire. Thus shall you eat it. Eat it with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand. You'll eat it in haste. It's the Lord's Passover. Isn't that amazing? It's the Lord's Passover. Watch the next verse. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. Who did he say was passing through? I thought it was the death angel. I thought the death angel passed through Egypt and slayed the firstborn. Because I've heard that preached a thousand times. That's not what God said. He didn't say there's going to be an angel come through. He said, I'm coming through, and I'm going to slay the firstborn of Egypt. Did God say, I'd do that, or did he say, send an angel? How many of you heard a death angel did that? The death angel passed through Egypt, and it slayed the firstborn. See, we can preach that stuff. I I got so excited, I blew a mic. But here's the deal. And you've got to stop and understand this. We've preached all this stuff. We've said this stuff. I've preached this to death angel. Come on. We sang it. We talked about it. But the truth of the matter is there's more to it than that. God just said, I'll pass through Egypt. I'll slay the first. Did he say that? It's in your book, same as it is in mine, right? Cool. I thought maybe this King James, you know. Okay, watch this. I'll pass through the land of Egypt this night. I'll smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. It wasn't just men. It was men and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I'll execute judgment because I am the Lord. I guess he narrowed it down to who did it. I am the Lord. I'm doing it. That's what he said. (sighs) Watch this next verse. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you 
And the plague won't be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. Everybody see it? That's some strong stuff. Hang on. I'm going to be a little while. I want you to see this because I want to teach you some things. There are three feasts that God says are his. He didn't say they're Jewish feasts. And he didn't say that they're, they're, they're. He said they're his feasts. I want you to catch that. He said, these are my feasts, and he calls them his feasts. They're not Jewish feasts. They're not church feasts. They're my feasts. It's Yom Kippur, it's Pentecost, and it's Passover. He said, these are my feasts. There there are some things that trouble my heart because he says that they should be an everlasting covenant. The feasts would would go on perpetual, call them perpetual feasts. And we don't celebrate any of that in the church. And that troubles me. And I understand New Covenant and Old Covenant. I understand all that. But I think if he said they'd be perpetual, that didn't mean till the covenant changed. So I, I struggle with some of these things. I'm just throwing that out there. But this is one of his feasts. He's going to talk about the Feast of Passover. Okay? He says these are my feasts. Okay? If we go back to Genesis chapter 11, I want to start walking you through this. In Genesis chapter 11, we're not going to turn there, but, but that's the Tower of Babel. Who knows the story? Come on. They're going to build a tower. All the people getting together are going to build a tower to reach to the heaven. And God said, oh, no, we don't want them to do that. Why? Because if they build a tower to reach to the heaven, they're not going to populate the world. They're not going to go. They'll just kind of have a central place. So what God do to get them to move? Anybody remember what God did to get them to move? He scattered them. He confounded their languages. Isn't that cool? He confounded their languages. So what happened was, now we can't understand each other, so the group that understood each other went this way, and another group that understood each other went this way, and another group that understood each other went this way. I don't even know what that looks like. Does that seem strange to you? That God comes down and confounds their language? Here's stuff that messes with me. That sounds like confusion. (laughs) But God said, I'm going to confound their languages so that they're scattered and no longer will they stay centralized. And God does that and their languages are concerned. And now they begin to go in tribes. Everybody okay if I say in tribes? You all right with that? Now watch this because it's kind of cool. Okay? So so, So when the families were dispersed and they moved, they settled into groups. And every family had, watch this, had their own family gods. And they started having this family gods, okay, and individual gods. Remember when Jacob worked for Laban and, his, and he took Rachel and, and, and Leah? Remember that? Like he worked seven years for Rachel and he got a Leah? <laughs> That'll preach. Okay. <laughs> Better leave that alone. <laughs> okay. And, then, and then, he gets, then he gets Rachel. Remember when they left Laban? What did Rachel do? She took the family gods. Y'all remember that? Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then Laban comes after him later on. Someone stole my family gods. They would have kept them in a box. I can't I can even talk to you about all that because it would be a special chest that they had and all those kind of things. But the fact of the matter was is Rachel stole the family gods. What was family gods all about? They had family gods. They had tribal gods. There was a lot of polytheism going on. I got the word right this time. Okay. Here's what's going on. I want you to see this because it's kind of interesting. Okay. This gets really strong. Okay. That would be, if you want a reference for that, it's Genesis 31. That's where you'll find Rachel and Leah and the family gods and all the things. And he says, because Laban even says, wherefore hast thou stolen my gods? 
Y'all follow that? That's a phrase straight from the scripture. The family God was considered divine protector of the family estate. So worship of the family God would take place at what was called the sacred threshold. Y'all following what I just said? Worship of the family gods took place at what they called the sacred threshold. Now, we'll find references to that all through Scripture, okay? It's at the doorway of the entrance. The idea of a sacred threshold is found in every culture in the primitive world. The concept was pretty much universal to the primitive land. It was everywhere, and we find it, we'll even find a lot of it all through Scripture, okay? Men in that day were recognized as the head or the authority of the family. Those were the good old days. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> okay. Before he took possession of his home, he would enter into a blood covenant with the family God. That was, that was just common practice. This God would be referred to as the God of the threshold. That would require a slaying of an animal at the doorway of the threshold. Okay. When the blood was poured over the threshold, it became the responsibility of the threshold deity to protect the home and every member within that home. Y'all following what I just said? So watch this. So what's going on is that being the head of the house and the priest of the threshold God, it becomes the man's responsibility to be the protector of all who would enter into the protection of his home. He would be empowered by his God to carry out his duties. Okay? It was understood when someone was invited to step across the threshold to enter into a man's house, he was submitting himself under the authority and protection of that man while he's in the confines of that home. Okay, how many remember in Genesis chapter 19, if you remember, Sodom and Gomorrah is about to be destroyed, okay? And Lot is sitting in the gate, the angels come, they come in, and what's he do? He takes them in his house. Y'all remember that? Now the men of the city want those angels for sexual deeds. Come on, you know the story. And the fact of the matter is, they come pounding on the door, and Lot is going to protect them with his life. Why? Because they stepped across his threshold. When they stepped across his threshold, they entered into what every Jew would understand as a threshold covenant. It was Lot's duty to protect them even to his very life. Do you understand what I just said? Remember that he even offered his virgin daughters. Because why? Because of a threshold covenant that was so valued by every Jew, he's going to protect them. They have stepped across his threshold. Do you got it? The Hebrew phrase was, they came under my roof. Okay, and when they come under my roof, they've entered into a threshold covenant. This is strong terminology. I'm going to show you a bunch of stuff now. Okay, who knows this practice? Come on. Years back, a man got married, went on his honeymoon. When they came back to the house, what did he do? Picked up his bride and carried her across the threshold. Do you know why? It comes from the same thing: threshold covenant. You ever hear that with me? Do you ever go like, why did he do that? What's that all about? That's where it comes from. It's a threshold covenant. She is now entering under my roof. What am I saying? I'm saying that's my job now to be the head of the house, to be the head over you. And, and I'm going to protect you and I'm going to keep you. And I'm going to, you're coming under the umbrella of my life. That's amazing stuff. Got it? It all comes from this threshold covenant. Follow with me. I'll show you some really cool stuff. Okay? Family gods and families grouped. One family God was often acknowledged as the greatest of the family gods in this tribe. So we got the tribe all together, and all, all the little houses got their own family gods, but one of these gods is going to be considered the most powerful, the greatest, the superior, recognizes the tribal God. And what happened was the concept of the tithe came to support the temple and the priesthood of this tribal God. Y'all follow what I'm saying? So it, it, it's not, the tithe isn't a Christian concept. 
It was already in place. Go to Genesis 28. I'll show you. This is good stuff. I'm going to mess with you today. Imagine that. Go to Genesis 28. We're going to look at verses 17 through 22. So the tribal gods would be set up, and they'd they'd have a little temple, and there'd be a threshold there, and all the things with that, and sacrifices would be made to the tribal god, okay? And that wasn't unusual, and tithes were meant to keep the temple and support all that. Look at Genesis 28. Let's start about verse 17. Better go to 16. 16. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep. Here's what happened. He just had a dream. What was his dream? Jacob's ladder. Angels ascending and descending all over the place. Jacob's freaked out. Oh, my goodness. He wakes out of sleep. And he said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, how dreadful is this place. This is none other but the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Isn't that amazing? You know what I think is amazing? Jesus references this when he sees Andrew. He said, Andrew, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. Andrew said, wow, that's amazing. He said, you think that's amazing? He said, you're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. What was he saying? Here's the gate of heaven. Do you understand that reference? Here's the gate of heaven. Oh, that's amazing. Here's, watch this, because watch what Jacob says. I want you to read this again, okay? How dreadful is this place? This is none other but the house of God. It's the gate of heaven. Jesus says to Andrew, remember this. Was it Andrew or Philip? It was Andrew. It was Philip. That was my next guess. <laughs> it was Nathaniel. You're right. Thank you. It was Nathaniel. Behold, an Israelite in whom is no guile. Yeah, it was. It's Nathaniel. And then he says, I saw you when you were under the fig tree. And he says, wow, that's like a really amazing thing. He said, you think that's amazing? You're going to see angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He's referencing this same scripture. And what he's saying is, here's the gate of heaven. Guess who lives in you? Come on. So when you walk into a room, here's the gate of heaven. Let me be an open gate and let heaven flow through me. That's a powerful verse right there. You've got to get that. So watch this because he says this is none other than the gate of heaven. Jacob rose up early in the morning, took the stone that he had put for his pillows. I think that's horrible. (laughs) I thought my pillow was hard. Holy smoke. And he set it for a pillar. It went from a pillow to a pillar. Anyway, okay. And he poured oil upon the top of it and called the name of the place Bethel. But the name of that city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, do you know Bethel means the house of God? Y'all know the prefix B-E-T-H always means house of? Y'all familiar with that? Like Beth is house of and El is God. So it's house of God, Bethel, house of God, Bethlehem. Did you know that Lehem means bread? So Beth is house of, house of bread. Bethlehem literally translates house of bread. Isn't it cool that the bread of heaven came to earth in the house of bread? Yay. I like that. So he says he's going to call it Bethel because it's the house of God. Watch this. Now watch. He calls it Bethel. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. Do you understand what he just said? My family God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Do you understand what he just did? He was entering into a covenant with his family God. 
And this God was going to be his family God, and he would give tithe to the family God. Why? Because that was the nature of their culture. Y'all follow what I just said? I want you to see this because there's some really strong stuff. Okay? So we're going to check this out. The tribal God would be selected and an altar would be erected. Usually in the middle of the camp. That was normal. That was common. It's a sacred place. It's the most holy place in the camp. Go to Leviticus 17. We're going to run some scripture. We're going to run a lot of scripture today. But I'm going to show you some stuff. Okay? There's, there's a reason for all this. You might say, well, pastor, this is a great history lesson. But how does it affect my life? Radically. Radically. I promise you, by the time this is done, you'll be like, Whoa. <laughs> Because it'll radically change the way we see something, okay? Walk through this with me. In Leviticus 17, we're going to look at the first nine verses, okay? Leviticus 17, that's right between 16 and 18, okay? (laughs) And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that kills an ox, lamb, goat, in the camp or that kills it out of the camp and brings it not under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord. Blood shall be imputed unto that man. He has shed blood and that man will be cut off from among his people. Who? The one that made a sacrifice but didn't bring it to the tabernacle of the congregation. Everybody see that? Don't do it over here. You got to do it here. Why? Because that tabernacle of the congregation was the tabernacle of God. Don't do it somewhere else. If you do, blood will be imputed unto you and you're cut off. Does he say that? Y'all see that? There's a reason for it. Let's keep reading. Okay? To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them under the Lord, under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, under the priest, and offer them for peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest will sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. What's he talking about? At the threshold. Everybody understand what I just said? Are you seeing this? Because I'm going to walk you through something that's really powerful. And burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. There'll be no more, there shall, and they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they've gone a whoring. What's he saying? All those other tribal gods. He called them devils and said you went a whoring after them. What's he talking about? He's really talking about spiritual adultery. We could call it spiritual adultery. That's really what he's talking about. But what he's saying is, we're not going to go to them anymore, okay? This will be a statute, how long? Forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourn among you, that offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and brings it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer it unto the Lord, even that man will be cut off from among his people. You got it? So he's saying, if you're going to offer a sacrifice, you've got to do it at the temple. You've got to do it at the tabernacle, okay, at the door of the tabernacle, at the threshold. Everybody see that? That's powerful. It's at the door of the tabernacle that God would come down. The glory of the Lord would come and descend, and God would commune with Moses, and the people stood in fear at their own doorways in their tents, standing over their threshold. How many remember that? When the glory of the Lord came, where'd all the people go? They stood in their doorways and they watched. Why? They're in a threshold covenant with an almighty God. Did y'all follow what I just said? 
This is really, really powerful. I'm going to take you somewhere. But watch for this, because when we understand this, the idea of the sacredness of the threshold would be developed into a whole bunch of superstitious beliefs. It was even believed that a thief wouldn't violate the threshold covenant. They wouldn't violate the threshold out of fear of incurring the wrath of the threshold God. The thief would have to enter in some other way than the door. Jesus alludes to it in John chapter 10. Remember in John chapter 10, he says, I'm the door, right? But if you looked at John 10, 1, he says this, and it's that whole verily, verily, come on, Foghorn Leghorn just flipped in your head, didn't he? Okay, verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. Does he say that? We're pretty familiar with that section of scripture. But the idea behind it is that Jesus is saying, here's the deal. This is the threshold. He won't violate the threshold. Do you understand that to cross over that threshold without an invitation, you have now violated and incurred the wrath of a threshold God. But what I want to show you, I think, is I'm so powerful. And I want to do this in the next couple of minutes. But watch what I'm going to show you. Go to Revelation 3 and 20. Let me do it right like this. Revelations chapter 3, it's verse 20, it's powerful. You know what it says? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would open unto me, what did he say? I'll come in, I'll sup with him, and he can sup with me. That is so incredibly powerful. What did Jesus just say? He said, I'll only come by way of an invitation. I won't cross your threshold without you allowing me. But we need to understand something. When I crossed over under your threshold, remember what I told you about Lot and protecting and keeping? The understanding of the threshold covenant, you can study this out, Google it, go whatever you want to, but here's what's really, really cool. When I came across your threshold, what I said is everything that I bring with me is yours. And you said, everything that I have is at your disposal. You have come under my roof. Everything that's in this house, you have access to because you've come under my roof. Everything that is, that is within the, the confines of this home is now at your accessibility. You're, it's all accessible to you. And when I come into your house, what I'm saying is everything that I bring with me is at your disposal. You can have anything I want. But you only come by invitation. You can't come by violating that. If I try to break in, I'm a thief. If I come without your permission, I have broken and entered. But if I come by your permission, we have entered into a covenant with one another. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man opens, I'll come in. I'll cross the threshold. When, you cro- when he crosses the threshold, what you're saying is Lord everything that I have is now yours it now all belongs to you but when Jesus comes in he said everything I bring with me is now at your disposal we have entered into a covenant with one another and what he's saying is what's mine is yours and you're saying what's mine is yours and that's what covenant is all about and it all stems from the threshold covenant that God established with his people Israel this is an amazing covenant So he's knocking and he's waiting for us to open. Jesus says, I'll come in, I'll sup with you. We've brought him under our roof. I'm telling you, man, there's a powerful truth to all this. We can walk back and we can look at the Passover that we just talked about. But the truth of the matter is when we open up that door and we bring him in, 
it makes all the difference in the world. Remember that in Exodus 12 and 2, there were some things that were being committed to. 12 and 2 talked about new beginnings. And I'm telling you something. He's all about fresh starts and new beginnings. We looked at verse 7. And it was all about the blood being upon the, the doorposts and the lintels. And I got to tell you something, man. It's all about the blood. Oh, I said it's all about the blood. I got to tell you something. It's all about the blood. In case I didn't tell you, it's all about the blood. And oh, by the way, it's all about the blood. And don't forget, it's about the blood. Because really, it's all about the blood. And you've got to understand something. It's all about the blood of Jesus Christ. Don't miss that. Don't lose that. Don't forget that. That's so powerful. You're in covenant. I love this. He said, I'm passing through Egypt. I'm not sending an angel. I'm passing through. No blood, no protection. Do you got it? No blood, no protection. Here's the deal. I think sometimes we cross thresholds we don't even realize we've crossed. I, I, I don't want to get mystical or freaky or anything else with you, but i tell you something. I've seen some strange things in the body of Christ. I think we've crossed thresholds that we knew we shouldn't cross. I've watched Holy Ghost filled people. If I said do stupid things, you wouldn't be offended if I said that, would you? Cool, because I just said it. <laughs> Go to psychics, call psychic hotlines. You're crossing thresholds there, man. And you are opening the door to demons that you don't want to deal with. I, I get frustrated when a church member comes and tells me what their horoscope said. What in the world are you doing with that nonsense? That's straight from hell. Please hear me. When I say that's straight from hell, I want you to know something. That's straight from hell. I'm going to preach Sunday morning. I've got some things that are, are really in my heart. I'm preaching a message. I'm going to call it the devil's a liar. But, but i got to tell you something. We got addicted to feel good messages. Wow. We got addicted to this idea of being encouraged all the time. Nothing wrong with being encouraged. I'm probably one of the most encouraging preachers. I love to preach encouraging. I'm, I talked to you yesterday about exhorting one another, encouraging one another. But here's the deal. If you've got incredible pain in your body, the doctor might give you a painkiller. Now, I know a lot of church people won't take painkillers because they don't want to get addicted. Here's the deal. As long as you have pain in your body and you're taking that, you won't get addicted. You know when you get addicted? When you no longer have pain, but you keep taking the medicine. You understand what I just said? You get addicted when you no longer have pain, but you keep taking the medicine. That's when the addiction comes. I got to tell you something. You might have been through some tough places. You might have been through some hard places, and you need an encouraging message. And you need to be lifted up, and you need to be encouraged, and you need to be exhorted. But here comes the deal. There comes a place where now I'm not in that place of pain. Why am I still taking those medicines? Can I talk to you? It, we used to preach about holiness. We used to preach. We, I got to tell you something. There's a place, and I'm going to say this, but we can't get just the 
addicted to every time we come to church, we need a feel-good message. Sometimes we need something that's going to build us up. Sometimes we need something that's going to strengthen us. Sometimes we need to understand there's some truth that we need to be applying to our life. And it can't just be that I come together and we all feel good and we dance and we shout and we get happy about things. Because I love to dance and shout and get happy about things. But I'm going to tell you something. There's a place where i got to build up myself, building up my faith, building up my spirit, and walking out my identity. And it's not just about feeling good. I want to talk to you because when I see this and I start understanding what this threshold covenant deal was all about, God was saying, I'm going to come through Egypt. I'm going to execute judgment. I understand we're in a different covenant. Boy, I understand that. I understand he executed judgment on Calvary. I've heard some crazy stuff lately. Who's heard all this stuff where, 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 where God creates an earthquake and destroys Japan because they're a heathen nation? That's ludicrous. That's ludicrous. I'll talk to you. If God creates an earthquake and a tsunami and destroys Japan because of their sin, he's going to have to apologize to his son. Because Jesus took their punishment. So if Jesus took their punishment, then God's going to punish them again. He better apologize to Jesus. Do you understand what I just said? That might sound hard, but you think about that. If Jesus took the punishment for their sin, why would God repunish them again? Oh. Do you understand what I just said? That was worth coming for right there, and it's break time. Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. I'll pick it up from here. We're going to talk about some stuff. Because we're going to revisit some of the threshold cover stuff. I'm going to walk you through some other things. Don't leave. <laughs> just take a break and come back. Okay, bless you. Thanks. Okay, everybody doing good? Um, I, I find it fun sometimes when your head gets spinning a while. I, I love that. Remember that I talk about this a lot, and I really believe this. I love the mystery, trying to understand it, and, and, and things that make your head spin. I, I live for that. Because here's what happens with me. I don't know how it does with you, but like thoughts will start there, and, and you try to connect the dots. I love when the dots don't connect. You know why I love when the dots don't connect? Because it delves me into the Word. And I think, I've got to go after this. I've got to figure this out. God, what's this all about? Now I'm praying. I'm studying and flipping scriptures. And there's, uh, do you do this? There's a hundred scriptures run through your mind all at the same time and you try to sort them out. Do you ever get like half of one scripture and half of another scripture? You know, and all of a sudden you're trying to find it and those two don't even, you know, and now you're, but it takes you through. These are the things that press us into learning, to understanding, to seeking. See, here's what I love. And I said this the other day. I'll say it again. I love this phrase that God never hides things from me. He hides them for me. I won't ever forget the Easter eggs. Little kids finding Easter eggs. When they find them, it's because the parents didn't hide them from them, hid them for them. The kids get all excited when they find them. The parents get more excited than the kids. <laughs> Come on. I know. So God gets excited when you're after those nuggets. See, do you know that Isaiah writes this and says it's the glory, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter. It's the glory of kings to search it out. Guess who kings are? We are. Come on, man. You're destined to rule. 
rulership, not ownership. We talked about it yesterday. Here's the deal. We're searching out a matter. We're trying to find these things. I love running down stuff and trying to figure it out and coming through. I live for the nuggets. I love the nuggets. I, 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 I've purposed in my heart. I would never preach another Sunday that there wasn't something I'm preaching Sunday that I didn't know last week. Because I figure if I've got to find something new every week for me, it's probably new for most of the congregation. Because I believe this, we're called to grow one another up. We're called to encourage one another. So there's got to be some nuggets in here. And I'm studying this threshold covenant. I'm trying to understand this. And, and, and the, more I, the more I go over it, even teaching it, it gets clearer and comes, it comes stronger. So watch this. When we look at this, here's the deal. It comes back to this, and it's all about blood. It still comes back to it's all about the blood. One of the things that really gets me excited and I feel really, really good about is this. It's through that blood that he purchases me. But in that whole scenario, the cry of the heart of the father is intimacy with his children. Intimacy with his children. God calls us to a place of intimacy with him. It's out of intimacy that we destroy the works of the devil. Don't ever forget that. Out of intimacy, we destroy the works of the devil. God calls us to a place of intimacy. We come intimate with him. Do you ever find yourself starting to say something? And then you know it's not right. Mm-hmm. Somebody, you, you realize I'm about to, what I'm about to say, you realize it was gossip or maybe it, was, it wasn't edifying. It wasn't, it wasn't building up. What happens to you? Do you get that? You get that? And then you start to say it anyway, and you get. (laughs) And the Holy Ghost thumps you. Do you understand that that's because he's intimate with you? Because he's so intimate with you that he doesn't want you to transgress a line. That he doesn't want you to cross over a place. Why? Because it creates uh, the beginning of a separation. I'm not pressing in. I'm pulling away. It starts a tear in the relationship. And God's all about sewing it together. And out of intimacy, we're out to destroy the works of devil. And God's bringing us to a place where we're coming into a one, into unity. Do you understand that above everything else, you're called to be at one with the Father? Why do you know that? Do you know what's really, really amazing? Jesus prayed a lot of prayers, and God honored all of them. Do you know the one I'm looking for? John 17. Father, that they may be one, even as I am in you and you are in me, that they may be one in us. Do you understand that's how intimate he wants us to be with him? And in that place of intimacy, he calls us out of darkness into light. That's what we've been talking about for a couple of days, right? Watch this. In the midst of this, and I'm trying to understand this whole idea of the concept of the threshold covenant, I, I, I opened the door. Revelation 3.20 says Jesus stood in the door and he, at the door and he knocked, right? Jesus stood at the door and knocked. How long did he knock for you? They knock a lot for you. Like, I don't know how it works for you. Can I, I shared a little bit of my story, but I, got, I, I started coming to a Pentecostal church in August of 1977 but you remember that I talked about my Catholic roots and everything that I was taught and challenged with in all my life up until I'm 18 years old was this 
You were born a Catholic, you were raised a Catholic, you're going to die a Catholic. Because that's very common. And nothing against that. Please hear, hear my heart right out. There's, there's, no, there's no presumption or anything on any of that. I'm not projecting against Catholicism or any of that kind of stuff. I'm simply saying that was the way we were raised. So that was very prevalent in our home. Now I'm in this Pentecostal church and they're telling me completely different from what I was taught in all my life. And it was very, very different. And I can remember being in revival services. Who's been there? I'm standing there, the seat in front of me. I have gripped to the point where my knuckles are turning white. Because I'm not moving, but I feel like I should run up front and get my heart. But, but I'm, I'm holding on. Anybody understand that? The conviction was so powerful on my heart, but my head couldn't get out of the way. Yeah. I'm holding back. What was he doing? Hello? Anybody home? <laughs> Hello, I want to come in. Hello, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Why? I want to enter into a threshold covenant. Do you follow what I just said? He's knocking. August, September, October, November, December. All through, he's knocking on the door of my heart. Every time there's an altar call, every time there's somebody, and you've got to understand something. I, grew, I, got, I got born again. I'm going to a church. Lori grew up in a church. They had church like all the time. <laughs> it seemed like, it, it, do you know Come on. <laughs> here's, here's the deal. The deal of it was, is that most of our dates involved a church service somewhere. In, in the organization we were in, if Butler wasn't in revival, Carn City was, or, 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 or Huey was, and we were, we were all over the place, and we interconnected with all the other churches and some of the other youth. And so, so what you did is you went to church, and then you went out to eat, and then you went home. Because... Church and eating was the only things in that group that wasn't sin. <laughs> okay. I was good. Anyway, <laughs> but here's the deal, and, and you just follow that, okay? I didn't want to sin, so I just ate a lot. Okay, but here's the deal. We went around, and, and, and it seemed like, and all the time, and my heart was being so convicted, but I couldn't get my head out of the way. Anybody been there? You understand what I'm saying? I think sometimes God still challenges our heart, and our head gets in the way. And we are born again. But on that night in February, I finally got my head out of the way and my heart took over. I want to do something because it's totally foreign to where we're at, but it, I, th I think it's imperative that we do this right now. There's something that's so in my heart. I, I, I need this. Um, Adam, can you and Brian come up here? And Caleb, would you come up here? I think I did this with you one other time. I'm not sure if you were part of this or not. And just to stand on the floor in front of me, if you wouldn't face them. Um, and, and I'm going to do this. Do you understand that man is, when we say this, man, if I use the phrase man is tripartite, are you familiar with that phrase tripartite? Made up of three parts, okay? Now, oftentimes what we say is man is body, soul, and spirit. But the truth of the matter is Paul didn't say it that way. He said, man is spirit, soul, and body. Y'all follow that? Why does he say that? He says, I pray God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless to the coming of the Son of Man. Okay? So here's the deal. I'm going to use Adam, and he's going to be spirit. You should be happy about that. <laughs> okay? <laughs> okay? He's the he's senior pastor. <laughs> okay? I'm going to use Brian, and he's going to be soul. And I'm going to use Caleb, and he's going to be body. Okay, so I'm going to put Caleb in front of these two guys because here's the deal. For every one of us, if you'll stand right between them, here's the deal. Do you understand that the spirit and the soul are at battle with one another 
over which one has control over the body. I don't know if you all understand that or not, but here's the deal. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions, okay? So here's the deal. The spirit is the part of us that connects with God. How do I know that? Because God is a spirit. Right. You know what Job said? He said, there's a spirit within man, and the candle of the Lord is the lamp of the... To say the candle of the Lord is the lamp of the body? What is it? Does anybody know that? Cool, then I'll just say that and you won't know I was wrong. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. I better not even try to quote that. But here's the deal. I am a spirit, okay? And what happens is the spirit is the part that connects with God. Now, the soul, the mind, the will, and the emotions is at battle with the spirit because the spirit wants to control the body. So we got, this, we got the spirit, and the spirit's wanting to control the body. Why? Because God wants control of this flesh. This is the house that the spirit lives in, and God wants control of that. Do you understand what I just said? But here's what happens. The mind, the will, and the emotions, which is our soul, struggles to take control and pushes out the spirit and says, no, you can't have that. I want control. And and what happens is the spirit is connecting with God and God's wanting control. And God's saying, no, I'm (laughs) cut you out. I want control. And you understand that this is a constant struggle over who's controlling the body. Y'all get that, right? Why? Because my mind, my will, and my emotions has a struggle with my spirit, and my spirit wants to control. What are they after? Dominance over the body. Does that make sense? Do you see that visually? Because every I, I can tell you something. I'm born again a lot of years. I'm in love with Jesus, but I understand this. Why? Because sometimes my my spirit wants to dominate but my soul my mind my will my emotions and 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 this 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 is the battle right here for even for the and please understand this isn't the battle for the unbeliever you understand that yeah and sometimes what has to happen is the spirit just dominates and takes control and the soul has to come in submission to the spirit. And that's the challenge that we face on a pretty regular basis. Y'all okay with that? Cool. Thanks guys. This is a visual. Go ahead. Uh, I need that microphone. I don't don't know where it's at. Becky's got it. She's on it. We're going to Shane. Okay. Well, can't the, uh, um, can't the spirit also dominate and take over the soul? Versus having the spirit and the soul constantly battling against each other. Oh, it's, it's always that way. I'm sorry. Yeah but, yeah, but what happens is the spirit is going to dominate over the soul. My spirit is taking control over my mind, my will, and my emotions. But then my mind, my will, and emotions rises up and tries to take control back over the spirit. And that's where the challenge is. Is because today I'm doing really, really good. But then tomorrow what happens is I, I, there's something about, can I say this? I've died out to myself, right? Yeah. Yesterday. Do y'all follow what I just said? I, I honestly believe that dying out to ourselves is not a one-time thing. I actually believe that dying out to yourself is probably about 17,693 times a day. Yeah, before lunch. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but that's really it, man. That's, that, there, there's such a truth to that. Y'all follow that, right? Yeah, there's a real truth to that. Now watch this, because here's the deal. Because I believe this is a place where I'm so dead to myself, right? 
Is that true or not? We want to be dead to ourselves. Okay? But that doesn't mean that that thing's not going to rise up to tempt us and challenge us over and over. And you've got to keep saying, no, I'm dead to that. I'm not giving that dominance in my life. I'm not going to allow that to dominate me because I have dominated it. I tell you this, this is so strong, but anything that you fail to dominate will dominate you. And there's a place where you absolutely refuse to allow that thing to rise up. Now watch this. I'm not talking about getting in your flesh and doing stupid stuff. I'm talking about being challenged by your own mind, will, and emotions. And you have to dominate that thing. I am so purposed in my heart because this is my paramount relationship. I absolutely refuse to let any of this challenge this. Don't ever lose sight of that. This, when, when, when we get to the place where this is so valued as it should be in our life, we will never allow this to challenge this. I'm not doing anything this way that's going to separate this because I vow. It's, it really comes down to this. How, how much do I value this? Because here's where your challenge comes in. At the spur of the moment, this might feel pretty good. Do you understand what I just said? This might feel pretty good. When I got born again, I had a little old Italian lady in the church. Her name was Lucy Benetti. Lucy Benetti was a sweetheart of a lady, but she never went to whispering class. <laughs> Who knows some of them sweet old ladies that never went to whispering class? You're in the middle of the church, right? My mother-in-law's name was Desi. Lucy was one of Desi's best friends. Lucy and Desi. Hmm. Anyway, <laughs> it's true. Okay. Okay. But here's the deal. Okay. Lucy wants to talk. Now, Lucy always sat at this end on this side of the church. My mother-in-law always sat in the aisle. Do you understand the conversations they had in the middle of a church service? Right. Lucy, Lucy was like that. But she told me, she said to me, she said, you will listen to me. Because that's how she talked. <laughs> she said, I'm going to tell you that there's nothing that sin has to offer you. is no good. No good. There's no pleasure in sin. That's a lie. How do you know it's a lie? The Bible says so. Yeah. Didn't God tell Moses, you have the choice. You can enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Yeah. Do you understand what I just said? Don't let anybody tell you there's no pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in sin. But it's only for a season. And what happens and that challenge comes is because this is so challenging, this, because there's a moment of pleasure. And you have to ask yourself, would I give in to the moment of pleasure and challenge this? Only if I value this the way that I need to, will that never affect me. But if I don't value this like I need to value this, all of a sudden now I'm totally challenged. Do you understand what I just said? Let me tell you something about relationships. You put a value on every relationship you have. Do you understand what I just said? You put a value on every relationship you have. How do you know that? It's just real life. Watch this. Some of you I've been friends with for quite a while. Value. Can I say this? Can I, I can honestly tell you I value every one of you. Some of you I barely even know, but I still value you. But some of you I know pretty well. I value you. Some of you I know very well. I value you. I hope this makes sense. I have a relationship with my insurance man. 
My insurance man is Don Rumbaugh. He's down in Hanover. If you've ever been to Rumbaugh's insurance, I can tell you something. He's an amazing guy. I like him. He got a secretary in her name, Sharon. She's awesome. I call on the phone. We talk all the time. I laugh, carry on. We don't even talk business. I hang up and say, oh, I forgot to ask you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I really like them. Here's the deal. We, they, have the insurance pa- they had the insurance package on Harvest Chapel, right? Through Guide One Insurance. Kept going up and up. I like Don Rumbaugh. He's a really nice guy. I called and said, Don, what's up with his man? I mean, it's gone up like a couple thousand dollars in the last few years. He said, well, you know, it's just the rates with the company. And man, I, and I, I wish it wasn't that way, but they're telling me this is what's going on. And it's not me, it's them. You know how do you project and everything? And you know what I did? I value his friendship. I value Don Rumbaugh. I called Brotherhood Mutual. <laughs> and they were a couple thousand dollars cheaper. Do you know how much I value Don Rumbaugh? I signed Brotherhood Mutual's package. Why? Because that relationship was great, but it was a business relationship. Do you understand what I just said? It was a business relationship. Now, you might like to think, well, this is a church. It's not a business. I got news for you. There's a business end to every church. You all right with what I just said? So in the business side of that, because I have a fiduciary responsibility to everybody who gives finance to the church, right? I got to make smart business decisions. What's a smart business decision? They offered me much more insurance at a much cheaper price. Guess what? I didn't value Don Rumbaugh that much. (laughs) Do you understand? Am I clear? Does that make sense to anybody? If it was $17, I'd have kept Don Rumbaugh. If it was $100, I'd have kept Don Rumbaugh. If it was 150, I'd have flipped a coin. (laughs) I like to do business locally because I think it's good PR for the church. But there's another part of me that says 2,000 bucks, guess what, see ya. (laughs) Why? Because the value of the relationship was challenged. I can still be his friend. We're just not gonna do business together right now. Do you understand? We're still friends. I see him out, we talk, we laugh, we carry on. Sharon's amazing, I talk to her anytime, anyplace. See her in restaurants, we laugh, carry on. I love it, but here's the deal. We put a value on every relationship that we have. You do the same thing with God, whether you know it or not. Because every time you're challenged, every time that there's a challenge in your life, that the enemy comes and brings a temptation or brings a challenge to you, you have to value how important is this, that I would dare not sever any part of it by dealing with this. Y'all follow what I just said? That's huge. You gotta understand that. With every temptation, you're placing a value on your relationship with God. Does that make sense? You need to think about it that way. First Corinthians 10, 13. Pretty sure that's right. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Watch this. But God is faithful. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every temptation make a way of escape whereby you may be able to bear it. That's an amazing verse right there. That's probably a good one to memorize. I ought to memorize that. That's an amazing verse. There's no temptation taking you that somebody else hasn't already been through, such as is common to man. You know what I think is amazing? I think, well, wait a minute. This generation faces temptations no other generation's ever known. That's not true. Because the same temptation came, it was just in a different form. No temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But watch what the next part says. But God's faithful. There's never a temptation that's coming in your life that God wouldn't faithfully empower you to overcome it every time. You have everything you need to live and walk in complete victory. 
You may have been told as a young person, or maybe even as an older person, somebody came along and preached to you, listen, it's okay, we all sin a little bit every day. That's a lie straight from hell. And you do not have to sin. You don't have to sin a little bit every day. You don't have to sin a little bit any day. Amen. You don't have to sin. You know why I know that? Because 1 John 2 and 1 says, my little children, I write unto you, don't sin. He wouldn't tell you don't sin if it was an impossibility. Don't sin. He says, but if you do, if something happens and you miss the mark, and the word there is harmartia, which literally means to miss the mark. It's an archer shooting an arrow at the target. And what he said is you miss the mark. You miss the target. If you miss the mark and you fell short and you came up short and sin entered into your life and found you and blindsided you, got you off the track. He said, if that would happen, not when, he said, if, if that would happen, you have an advocate with a father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Do you understand that? God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every, not most, every temptation, make a way of escape that you might be able to bear it. He just said you don't have to. Did you get that? That's like major huge to me. What I'm going to tell you is this. There's a place where we understand that relationship with God is so valued. I'm not going to do anything to mess that up. I don't want to do anything that's going to mess that up in any way, shape, or form. Because I value that. So in my heart, I purpose, I'm never going to mess that up. 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 I'm never, 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 never going to mess that up. Not ever, never, never, ever, never, ever, never. And then I messed it up. <laughs> Right? Come on. Because nobody, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody in this room is running around out there intentionally messing it up. I just believe that with all my heart. But sometimes things happen. And you know what the devil does? Gets right up on your shoulder. And what's he do? Starts telling you how a lousy mess you are. Starts telling you that you're no count and no good. And you shouldn't be even, you call yourself a Christian. Come on. Who's ever heard that straight from hell? Come on, you call yourself a Christian? You, you in the ministry? Oh, that's a joke. You don't need to be in the ministry. You need to be ministered to. You're a mess. You're a disaster. How could you ever tell somebody else how to live? You don't even know how to live. You're just a mess, 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 mess. <laughs> Come on, the devil's talked to you like that. I know that because he talks to me like that. Yes. And right in the middle of all that, There's a place where all those lies that are coming into your head, you have a tendency to start to believe. And then you start remembering some of the things that people have spoken over your life. You'll never make it. Although they were word curses, you didn't even know it. And they were telling you all that, and the devil starts bringing all that back. And you have to purpose in your heart, wait a minute. Devil, you're a liar. Devil, you are a liar. There is so much that hell would like you to believe about you. But you know what's really cool? God wrote a book about it. God wrote a book about it. If you want to know the truth about you, I hold it in my hand. And here's the deal. There's no place in here that God said you're a mess. That was straight from hell. 
There's no place in here that says, and thou shalt be a mess. And when thou risest in the morning, thou shalt mess up. And then in the afternoon, thou shalt mess again. But fear not, for your mess is not finished, for thou shalt say that thou shalt be a mess even into the evening light. <laughs> it's not in there. I've read this thing. It's not in there anywhere. The only way you can agree that you're a mess is if you come into agreement with hell. Because every decision you make, you're either agreeing with heaven or hell. We talked about that the other day. Every choice you make, every agreement that you come into, you're either going to agree with heaven or you're going to agree with hell. Remember this. You've entered into a covenant with the Most High God. What did he say? When he stepped across that threshold, what did we get in that? What did we find in that? What we found in that was when, he, when we opened up the door and he came in, he said, everything that I have, everything that I'm bringing with me is now at your disposal. What's that mean? You can live and walk in a life of complete victory. That's amazing. Everything you need to live victorious came in on that day. I think that's amazing. I can even tell you that I believe he wrote the word on your heart. Because it's in the book. He wrote it all on your heart. It's in you. That's amazing to me. I haven't even figured that one out yet. But it's in there. He wrote the word. I put my word in their heart. It's in there. That's why when you read things and it goes, because it was already in there. That's amazing to me. I love it. Yeah. Oh, she was back there just really intrigued, man. But here's the deal. It's in your heart. It's an amazing place for the word in your heart. David said, thy word have I hid in my heart. Why? That I wouldn't sin against God. Go ahead, Linda. This is really cool. I was talking to a gentleman um, at the restaurant last night, and he sat in my section. He usually sits in front. And he's like, oh, Linda, I'll be right back. He went out and got his Bible and brought it into the restaurant. Now, you know how Bibles are normally small. Uh-huh. Well, this one was like this thick. Oh, wow. He, oh, yeah. He brought he, in the family Bible. He, brought, okay. he just he had everything. And it was so funny. We were talking about scriptures, and I was saying something. And he looked at me and said, no, no, Linda, that's not in the Bible. And he was really stirring my spirit because he really, and it was funny. You just said the exact same thing. I sat there and he goes, well, you are young. He goes, but God has written everything. He said exactly what you just said. And my spirit just jumped up and went crazy. Could you just give revelation to a gentleman that just sat there and said that everything that's in here, Linda, is written in your heart, that the Spirit will bring everything to you and reveal what you need to know. He said, just be firm with what he's going to give you. And I was like, and you just cool? stood and said the same thing that he Amen. was saying to me last night in the restaurant. Wow. Isn't that cool? Sounds like the Holy Ghost. He was there. That's pretty cool. So this guy agreed with me, so I know he's right. Yeah. Okay. He reads the same okay. book that you do. <laughs> it's like we were reading the same book by the same author. It's amazing. Yay, God. Here's the deal. And, I, and it is a big deal. But isn't it great? And just so you hear what Linda's saying. Sometimes, isn't it cool how God just confirms things in our life? Like, like you could say, well, that's a coincidence. But I live in the realm of there is no coincidence in God. I just believe there's no coincidence in God. Like, God's not about coincidence. He's about providence, which is a whole other message for another time. Here's the deal. It's in your heart. And there's a place we've entered into covenant with him. That whole threshold covenant thing is huge because what he said is, I'm bringing with me everything that you need to live and walk in complete victory. There's never a day. Remember 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There's never a day when a temptation would come that has the right or privilege or power to overtake you. Remember, spirit, soul, and body. What was going on? I'm telling you, there's a place where the spirit dominates everything. 
Why? When we value this above everything else. I know one of Pastor Dan's favorite scriptures, and he probably has hammered it over and over. But if any man will come after me, what's the first step? Deny self. That's when, that's when the soul has to die. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow after me. Do you understand that we can't follow after him until we've denied ourselves? Have you talked about this? You can't follow after him if you don't deny yourself. Because here's what he said. First thing you got to do, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow after me. Deny yourself, take up your cross. It's the instrument of death, death to the self. And now you have the right and privilege to follow me. That's challenging. Everything about that's challenging. Remember what I said a little while ago when I was talking about how that, how that sometimes we may have opened up doors in our life that we should have never opened? Who's ever opened the door they wish they'd never opened? Come on, man. You know what? Here's the deal. And I deal with this in counseling all the time, but I can talk to you real, real straight because some of you, especially those of you that are young, you need to hear this. This is so powerful. But the truth of the matter is if I never open the door, I never have to worry about closing it. Do you understand what I just said? Every couple that I do premarital counseling with, you know what I talk to them about? I talk to them. Here's one of the rules I'm going to give you. you need, I'm only going to give you a handful of rules ever in your lifetime, but here's a rule I'm going to give you. If you're going to get married, you've got a covenant with one another before the day of your wedding, before the day that you say, I do, that we will purpose in our heart. We will never use the D word. Amen. We'll never say divorce. Because once one or the other of you opens up that door with the word divorce, I promise you, every argument, that word will make its way back. And all of a sudden now that word makes its way back and pretty soon we're talking about it. And now the imaginations start to go and we start picturing what will my life look like when we're not together anymore. And you're imagining what life is like as a single person. Pretty soon, if you're a lady, some guy walks by and goes, well, you know, if I'm not with him, maybe what would life look like if I was married to him? What would life look like if I was married to her? And all of a sudden now, all the imaginations, why? Because we opened up a door that should have never been opened, and we let that demon into our home. Did y'all follow what I just said? Come on. A man on his computer, and all of a sudden something jumps up there that shouldn't be there. And all of a sudden now, he's going through pornographic websites. And images have been burned into his brain that he wishes was never there. But now they're there. And you know what happens? The devil keeps bringing them back over and over and over to haunt him with those things. And you've crossed over a door. A threshold spin. Do you understand what I just said? Over and over, all these kind of things. It's that whole same thing with the psychics or whatever, whatever avenue. Come on. Some of you that are my age, you might remember we had the Ouija boards. I can tell you something. I got born again. I wasn't born again long. I burned mine. I, I, I can honestly tell you, you'll freak you out. I don't even want to say this the wrong way. We had a burn barrel in our backyard. I remember throwing that thing in there, and it sounded to me like a scream. And I wrote it off as it was plastic that was melting. But I'm going to tell you something today. I look back at that and I think, you know what? I think that thing might have been screaming. I'm going to tell you something. There's some of that stuff straight from hell. This stuff is ridiculous. There's a threshold we should never cross. Why? Because we're entering into contracts with hell in those kind of arenas. I'm going to tell you something. The only threshold I want is the threshold that Jesus makes that we cross over and come into covenant one with another. And every other threshold, if there's a contract, then we've got to tear up those contracts and null and void and they're no good anymore. You purpose that in your heart, man. This is huge in me. It's strong in me. Over and over, I think about these kind of things. I 
I purposed in my heart, I'm going to so value this that nothing else will ever take that. That nothing can take away from that. I've purposed in my heart. I'm not giving into that. Do you ever wish in your life you had a do-over? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Three before lunch, right? <laughs> yeah. Over and over. Here's the deal. Remember that I said at Passover, Jesus is all about new beginnings. I'm going to tell you something. I thank God for covenant. We have got to get an understanding of what this covenant looks like. Because when we understand covenant, things begin to fall in line in our life. I'm convinced of a few things in my life, but one of them is this. He's a God of new beginnings. He's a God of fresh starts. I will tell you something, and I'll talk to you real straight. If we understood positionally, and I'll say this, today... If I can look at scripture and somebody asks me, what's, what's Satan's job description? According to the Bible, he's the accuser of the brethren before God. Everybody okay with that? You mess up, what's he doing? He's telling God all about what a mess you are. Accuser of the brethren before God, right? He's not only telling God what a mess you are, he's telling you what a mess you are. But he's telling you that he's telling God. Is, is he the accuser of the brethren before God? Y'all understand that, right? So what do you got? You got Satan before God accusing us of being no good and no count. And we're never going to make it because honestly, and I know Pastor Dan had to hit this, but he believes that you're selfish. And you would rather live for you than live for Jesus. And you know that's true. That's what the devil's trying to do and accuse you before the Lord. But now you got, you got Jesus standing over here and what's he? He's the mediator between God and man. So what do you got? You got two lawyers before the judge. You okay with that when I say it that way? You got two lawyers before the judge. Satan who's trying to accuse you and Jesus who's saying, but I took that price. I paid the price. Isn't that an amazing truth? Satan's the accuser of the brother before God. I'm going to tell you something else. He's the accuser of God before the brother. Has he ever come to you and told you if God really loved you? If God really loved you, would you be going through this? If God really loved you, would your car really be broke down? Come on. Why would God let you buy that car that broke down in the first place? Why didn't he tell you it was a bad car? That ever happened to you? All those kind of things happen. If God really loved you, why did this go on? That's the accuser of God to the brethren. Do you understand that? He's the accuser of the brethren before God, but he's also the accuser of God before the brethren. I want you to see this. Over and over, as Satan accuses us before God, Jesus says, they were guilty, but I paid their price. Do you understand? I took that one, Father. I took that one, Father. Do you get that? What a really neat, true story. It was the state of Texas. I think it was about 60 years ago. It was somewhere in the 1950s. And there was a man, and if I can remember right, his name was Harold Wilson. I remember that his last name was Wilson. I don't remember his first name. I think it was Harold. His name was Harold Wilson. And he committed multiple murders, and he was sentenced to die. Do you understand what I just said? He's on death row. He's been on death row for a season. It was several years that he's been on death row. And what happened was he had a lawyer that was a pretty good lawyer, and the lawyer was trying to get him off. The family had hired this lawyer, and they were fighting to get him off. 
and they'd gone all the way up through the courts and there were some things that were going on and there had been some proof of a mistrial and there was accusations and things were going on and it actually made it all the way to the governor's desk. It's the night before and Harold Wilson's to be executed by lethal injection tomorrow. And the night before the governor stepped in. You know what the governor said? He said, I'm going to write this man a pardon. And we are going to officially pardon him. He will not have to die. So they brought papers in that night. It's like 10 o'clock at night. They bring papers and they open up the cell. And they said, Mr. Wilson, the governor has issued you an official pardon. And tomorrow, you don't have to die. Here's your papers. You know what Mr. Wilson said? I don't want them. I don't want your papers. I'm not accepting his pardon. And the whole legal system went nuts. What do you do with that? What do you do with that? All right, what do we do with Mr. Wilson? The governor pardoned him, but now he's not accepting the pardon. But the governor said, you don't have to die. But he said, I don't want your pardon. So now do we kill him or do we let him live? Do we kill him or do we just let him sit down? What do we do with him? Nobody knew. Took him two weeks to decide. Had to all go back through the Supreme Court. In the meantime, Mr. Wilson's sitting in jail. And the Supreme Court has to study this thing. Is What do we do with Mr. Wilson? Because the governor said, he's free. But he said, I don't want the governor's pardon. What do we do with that? And the Supreme Court in the state of Texas made a decree. You know what they said? They said a pardon is of no value unless it is received by the one who's been pardoned. Can I tell you something? You're guilty. But Jesus said, I took your place, now you're pardoned. I took your place, now you're pardoned, you can go free. But a pardon is of no value if it's not received by the one who's been pardoned. What an incredible analogy. Do you understand that? There's power behind those thoughts. Here's the deal. You're free. It's an amazing thing to be free. I don't even understand if we, if we fully understand the ramifications of what it is to be free. But I've got to tell you something. I'm squeaky clean because of Jesus. I love the idea of being squeaky clean. So I think about this, and it really speaks to my, in, in my heart because when I read this... I think about over and over, we've looked at the threshold covenant, we've talked about Passover, we understood that Passover is all about the blood, we understood that Passover is all about deliverance, okay, and I think that's a huge thing, but you know what, if I think about this, before Passover, they were still in bondage, before Passover, 430 years of bondage, what happened after Passover? They were free. Oh. Can you, do you ever get a picture of what they must have looked like coming out of Israel or coming out of Egypt? I, for a long time in my life, I had no idea what that might have looked like. I, I pictured this little caravan of people that were walking through the desert, you know, and they had a couple donkeys and some camels. Do you understand what two million people look like? I don't know if you understand what two million people look like walking around in the desert for 40 years. That's amazing to me. Get a picture of that. That's like a mess. <laughs> a couple years ago, I was part of a... Remember when the Promise Keepers... Anybody around when the Promise Keepers first came out? And we had a meeting down at the mall in Washington. The, the, they called it the Washington Mall. And they said there's about a million people showed up for that. 
Anybody remember that? Like they were like everywhere. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my gosh, the whole earth showed up. Because <laughs> I was in the middle of that. It was a mess. And then these jumbotrons everywhere because you, you couldn't get all that many people. And, and, and you could even see because they were doing crowd shots. And I'm telling you, oh my God, I've never seen such a sight. I honestly thought there has to be 16 million people here. It was a million. But then I read this and I think there was twice that many that came out of Egypt. That's amazing to me what that must have looked like. And God took care of them for 40 years. Do you ever wonder what manna looks like? As I said, it looks like a coriander seed. That cleared it up for me. <laughs> what the world's a coriander seed? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> it's like Josh talks to me. I told you I'm, I'm computer illiterate. Josh says, there's this new hard drive and it's four terabytes. I said, how big's a terabyte? He said, oh, it's like 16 gigabytes. Oh, sure. <laughs> now I understand. <laughs> I said, come on. I'm clueless on that stuff. Here's the deal. Two million Israelites coming out of this place, they were in bondage for 430 years. You'd think they'd be the happiest people on the planet. And what'd they do? Come on. They got to the Red Sea, and they thought, we're all going to die. Here we are. There's Pharaoh. His army's coming. We're in a mess. There's mountains here, hills there, and a sea there, and Pharaoh back there. Oh, we should have just stayed in Egypt. And then God goes, and he blows. And when he blows, the whole sea parts in two and dries up, and they walk through. That's a, that blows my mind. Imagine if you're a fish in the Red Sea. <laughs> Come on. Stick your nose up there. Huh? What's up with this? <laughs> Come on. You guys don't think that way? Come on. That messes with me. What's that look like? And you got to know them Israelites are standing there. You go first. Uh-uh. You go first. I ain't going first. Come on. There's two million of them. And they're going to cross through the Red Sea. That's an amazing story. I don't know if that messes with you. That messes with me. Did you ever hear the, the story? College. And, and a college professor had decided that that whole Red Sea crossing wasn't such a big deal because he was trying to study the ebb and flow of the sea and everything that was going on. And said at that season when they'd have been passing, he said, it's not that big a deal because the water would have been so low that the possibility would have been that even where they crossed, there may have been only two inches of water when they crossed over. And there's a little Christian girl in the back and Steve started shouting, Woo! Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Praise you, Jesus! And the professor looked and said, What are you doing? She said, I'm so excited. He said, what, are you one of these Christians that believes this thing's true? She said, absolutely. He said, I can prove scientifically that it was probably the possibility very, very strong that there's only been two inches of water there when they crossed over. You think that's a big deal? She said, hallelujah, praise you, Jesus. Oh, she's excited. He said, how can you get excited about that? She said, my God's awesome. He said, what do you mean? There's only two inches of water. You think that's awesome? She said, yeah, God drowned Pharaoh's army in two inches of water. He's a big God. Come on. You, you take it any way you want to. It's a big deal. Come on. 
Yay, God. Yeah. It's all about perspective, man. It's all in how you look at it. But, but you got to see this thing, man, because it's real. That same professor, he's like really atheistic. He's talking about whales and different things and said it's proof that there's no way that a whale could have swallowed Jonah because the belly of a whale couldn't have contained the body of a man. A little woman in the back said, that same little girl in the back said, I ain't buying that. She said, well, he started trying to say so scientifically had to be that way. She said, I, I can't even believe that. She said, matter of fact, I'll tell you what. When I'll get to heaven, I'll ask him. Mm-hmm. Professor said, what if he ain't in heaven? She said, then you ask him. Professor decided to leave her alone. <laughs> There's things like this. It's perspective. Well, I'm going to tell you, when I see Passover, it's all about deliverance and it's all about the blood. Over and over, what I'm going to tell you is this threshold covenant, I've studied this thing out, it's very powerful. But when I, and, and please hear this. If I can understand Revelation 3 and 20, and he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man. See, I love this phrase, any man. You got to understand this. After 20-some years of pastoring and, and, and probably 30 years of counseling, I, I've been with so many people. And, and I, I just keep coming back, hearing the same thing over and over about people telling me because they feel so unworthy because of their past. Because of what they've been, or where they've been, or what they've done, or who they've been with, or whatever's gone on in their life. And I keep telling every one of them, I'm going to tell you something. When you come to Christ, you're a new creation. The old man is dead. Please, let that old man rest in peace. Quit resurrecting that old man. He's dead. You don't have to, I stand before you as a man without a past. I was born at 18 years old. I hope you get that. I hope you understand that. He said, if any man would come unto me, I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how bad you've been, or how... Can I say this? I've watched people that have never got born again because they thought they were good enough. Do you understand what I just said? I've never done that much wrong. I've never hurt anybody. I've always helped people. I've been a good man all my life. Can I tell you something? And please hear this the right way. But hell is full of good people. Do you understand what I just said? Hell is full of good people. Because I, I, I don't want to say it, but you must be born again. You must be born. Jesus didn't say to Nicodemus, Nicodemus what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? He didn't say you got to be a good guy. He said you got to be born again. He didn't say you got to be nice to everybody. He said you got to be born again. You can be a good guy, be nice to everybody, give your money to the poor, help missions, go on mission trips. You can be in church all your life and die and split hell wide open. I promise you, church is, uh, hell is full of church members. Almost said church is full of hell members, but that's another message. <laughs> Watch what I'm about to tell you because it's huge. The fact of the matter is, and if we study this book, we're going to find out there's a reality of this. This, th- th- this idea, and please hear this, God is a covenant-keeping God. 
He's a God of covenants. He's all about covenant today. That's a book of covenants. It's really all about covenants. And God calls us to a place of covenant with him. So I think about this and I think about it. 430 years of bondage. Passover happens. Blood is applied. And now they're free. I don't know if that speaks to every one of you. But man, that speaks to me. Bondage. Blood. Free. Bondage. Blood. Free. You got it? Bondage. Blood. Free. Please hear that. That's powerful. The idea is when I study covenants, and, and that's how I got into the threshold covenant. I was going through a bunch of different covenants and kind of kind of running some things down through history and understanding. And covenants is a big deal to God. In the midst of this verse. And I'll come back. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would open unto me. Do you ever see the picture? Y'all seen the picture? There's no doorknob on the outside. The doorknob's only on the inside. He won't open the door and come in. Why? Threshold covenant. He won't cross it without your permission. But when he comes in, what did he say? I'll sup with him. And he can sup with me. What did he say? Everything I have is yours. And you're saying, Lord, everything I have is yours. Please hear that. Everything I have is yours. That's my life. That's my stuff. That's my goods. Come on, that's everything I have. I give it all to you. That's my future. Can I say this? That's my past. Give it to you, God. Do you ever think about this? That all the sin that's ever been in my life and, and, and I asked Jesus to come in and forgive me and he said not only will I forgive you but I'll take your sin I'll cast it as far as the east is from the west and I'll never remember it again Amen. isn't that amazing that like do you ever wonder how a God so big forgets <laughs> because he chooses to forget it's his choice to forget there's a lot of stuff about God I don't know. I was sharing a scripture a little while ago. Go to Genesis chapter 19 for just a minute. I'll show you this. Go to 18 instead. Yeah, 18. It's just right around 19. <laughs> In chapter 18, God has come down to commune with Abraham. Three angels show up and the Lord is speaking to Abraham. I think this is pretty amazing scripture. I just see this because God, God is amazing. Can I say this? You don't have a box big enough for God. I'm going I'm 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 to take you to a place so far out of your box, it'll mess your head up. But I want to show you this because sometimes we think we understand God. And I just want you to know you don't understand God. God's bigger than our understanding. I'll show you this. It's kind of cool. Really neat stuff. Watch this. Okay? So here's what. Okay? God is speaking, and he's telling Abraham, you're going to have kids, and Sarah laughs. Okay? Sarah, verse 12, 18 and 12, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I'm waxed old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I'll return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah denied, saying, I didn't laugh, for she was afraid. And she said, Nay. And he said, Nay, but thou did laugh. Isn't it amazing 
that Sarah laughed at what God said, and then when God challenged her, she lied to God. <laughs> no, no, I didn't do that, God. <laughs> and we read that and think, oh, she lied to God. How many of us did that? Oh, God, I'd never do that. She lies, and then she, she laughs, and she lies about laughing, and then God says, no, you did. Watch verse 16. The men rose up from thence, and they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. Okay? Now watch this. This is the angels, right, that are with them. Now God's going to have a conversation. Watch this. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and a mighty nation. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Or do you think I ought to tell him? Isn't that amazing? He's talking with, there's, a, there's, a, there's an angelic conversation going on. Should I hide from Abraham? Or do you think I ought to tell him? I don't know if that messes with you or not. That kind of messes with me. Watch the next couple verses. It really messes with me. He says, for I know him. I know Abraham. That he'll command his children and his household after him. And they'll keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment. To do justice and judgment. That's, that's amazing to me. That the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him. And the Lord says, watch this. He says, I know Abraham. I'll talk to him. I'll probably I'll share with him. The Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great. And because their sin is very grievous. I'll go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it which is coming to me. And if not, I'll know. Okay, does that mess with your head like it messes with my head? Hello? <laughs> does that mess with your head? It's like Abraham said, hmm, the cry of the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has come up unto me. It's very grievous. I think I'll go down and check it out and see if it's real. <laughs> if it's not, I'll know. But if it is, then I'll know. But right now, I don't know. Did you get that when you read that? God didn't know. So he said, I better go down and check it out. Does that, hello, does that mess with you? How is it that God doesn't know? I don't know <laughs> how God doesn't know. <laughs> Now, you can say, well, wait a minute. Maybe it's the way you're reading it. You can read it any way you want to. I've read this thing 99 times. You know what I found in that? If God chooses to not know, it's his choice. See, how is it that God forgets my sin? Because if he chooses to forget, it's his choice. Do y'all follow what I just said? It's amazing to me. God's a whole lot bigger than we've allowed him to be. I read that in about 13 different versions. It comes out the same. I'm going to tell you something. This is pretty amazing to me. But I want you to understand something. I came into covenant with him. And when I came into covenant with him, everything that was behind me, he chose to forget. And he made me a brand new creature. Isn't that amazing? I'm really glad. Because I've got to tell you something. My family didn't forget. My neighbors didn't forget. The guys I ran with didn't forget, but God forgot I love this about God. He's huge. So I'm going to take you back to Passover one more time and we're going to close. But remember this. 430 years is a long time in bondage. Bondage. Blood. Freedom. Y'all got that, right? The death of the firstborn. There's so much more to this and I could talk to you about a whole bunch of it. 
because when I read this stuff, it really, really speaks to my heart. God says, sanctify the firstborn unto me that's mine. The firstborn of every man and every beast. Sanctify to me, it's mine. There's a whole bunch to this that God shows himself over and over through the threshold covenant. But I want you to understand the one thing that I think is most important of anything else. What God's saying is, it's fine. You make your covenant with me and nobody else. Do y'all follow that? You make your covenant with me and nobody else. Let me talk to you real straight if I can. We came to a place where we said, Jesus wants to be the Lord of my life. We come to an understanding that Lord denotes ownership and everything about the Lord means ownership. We give him ownership of everything that we are. He's Lord. If I've made him the Lord of my life, then he has ownership. It's not even my life to live. I gave it to him. Y'all follow that. And I think everybody in this room understands that. But there's a place where over and over we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged because sometimes I want to do it my way. Sometimes I want to I want to please me. Sometimes I want to live by my choice. And I want to say this the right way. It's an amazing thing. When I so value this, and this has to be the main, the, of everything else, this has to be, I so value this, I adamantly and absolutely refuse to allow this to change this or to challenge this. I'm convinced there's a place where he's calling us. We got a deeper, we have to have a deeper value for our vertical relationship so that every horizontal relationship will come into line because sometimes it's this very thing that totally challenges this it's all about how much value you put on it I promise you when it comes down to it you'll see that it's all about the value that you put on your relationship with God how many of us the crowd's going in one direction but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit thumps our hearts and I want to be part of that crowd but the Holy Spirit just challenged my heart. I can't. And what they're doing doesn't even seem to me like it might be sin except for one thing. God just challenged my heart. Don't do that. Don't go there. There's a struggle there. There's a challenge to that. But because I value this, I can't put that ahead of this. God just challenged my heart said, don't do that. Understand what I just said? Come on, everybody's going to this movie. It's a pretty cool movie. It's a brand new movie. It's just out. And all my friends are going to this movie. They want me to come to the movie with them. And God thumps my heart and says, I don't want you in that movie. What do we do with that? But I want to go to that movie. Do you understand what I just said? I'm in a covenant with him. If I go to that movie, you know what I just did? I became the enemy of God. I don't know if you understand that or not, but I just became, why? Because I challenged his authority in my life. See, when he says, love not the world, it's probably 1 John chapter 2, maybe about verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things of the world. The love of the world is what? Enmity with God. What was he saying there? Anything that challenges his authority or his position in our life becomes the enemy of God. You all right with that, what I just said? Anything that challenges his authority becomes the enemy of God. When God says, don't go, but I want to go, guess what became the enemy of God? Me. Because I chose to please me over pleasing him. I chose to do my will over his will. Isn't that really what Jesus was doing in the garden when he was praying? Father, not my will, but yours be done. 
Why? Covenant. Do you see it through covenant? Do you understand when I say this is all about covenant? It's through covenant that now this becomes primary. That's why he was saying all those other gods, you have to slay. They have to be done away with. Every plague of Egypt, I promise you, was designed to show that the God of Israel was greater than every God of Egypt. All those plagues that came. I challenge you, man. What do you have in your life that challenges God's authority? Do you understand what I say? It's really all about covenant. I know it's really solemn right now. I know it's pretty somber, but I'm telling you, I understand where we're at and where we're at right now. God's speaking to us. We're in a, we're, we're in a, we're in a class that speaks about identity. And, and I, I want to say this. You can have all the identity stuff here. But I want to know what's going on here. Because honestly, Jesus is Lord here doesn't mean a thing. Jesus is Lord here means everything. Do y'all follow what I just said? Here, cranial, cardial. It's got to be from the heart. I promise you, you will never please God with your head. Your head's not big enough. got to be from the heart. Where's your heart? I'll give you this and we're going to close, but over and over, I can't get away from this. I said it yesterday. This one scripture constantly rises up in me. It's been for about two weeks now. I will tell you probably 13, 14, 15 times a day this comes out of me. Guard your heart because out of it proceeds the issues of life. I'm not even confident yet what all those issues of life are. I just know over and over he keeps telling me, guard your heart. Out of it proceeds the issues of life. Everything about your life is about really what's going on in your heart. You can get all the teaching, you can get all the training, you can get everything you possibly can get and get a head full of knowledge and all kind of amazing stuff and still go out there and be totally stupid. <laughs> and I know what I'm saying. I didn't say that by accident. You can go out there and live horribly and have a head full of knowledge. But if you have a heart full of Jesus... That makes all the difference in the world. I promise you some of the best Christians I know can't quote too many scriptures. And I've been with some incredible theologians that can quote whole books of the Bible and not miss a word. But they live terrible lives. You understand what I just said? I'm simply challenging, man, as you stand before the Lord. And I'm talking about this threshold covenant. I want you just to think with me for just a minute. As you think about this threshold covenant, you have entered into a covenant with a covenant-keeping God. You have opened the door. You said, Lord, you come in. You know what you said when he came in? When When he came in, you said, God, everything that I have, all of my life, all of my substance, everything about me, everything that I have today and ever will have, it is all at your disposal. It is not even mine. God, I give it all to you. And when he crossed over, he said, all that I have is now yours. Everything that I bring with me, I give to you. Isn't that amazing? That's the covenant that you entered into in a threshold covenant. Revelation 3 and 20 is simply signifying that it is signed, sealed, and delivered. It's yours. Bow your head and close your eyes with me. This rises up in my heart right now. Remember that I said this just a few minutes ago. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. I can't say that enough. I don't think I can say it loud enough or long enough or enough times. Guard your heart. Out of it proceeds the issues of life. Here's where we're at. Jesus says, I've stood. I've knocked. You've opened the door. Do you understand that when you submit to him, when you opened up that door, you were saying, God, I give you everything. 
What I'm asking you right now is to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart to see if there's anything at all that you're holding back. If there's anything at all that you're keeping back. God, I give you everything. Because that's what you said. According to Revelation 3 and 20, you just said, God, I give you everything. What are you holding back? What's in your life that you haven't totally surrendered? You see, if we're going to ever understand our identity, it starts with surrender. If we're ever going to understand our position, it starts with, I've given you everything, God. We have to hear that. That has to become a reality. God, I give you everything. I want you to think with me just for a minute as the Holy Spirit just speaks to your heart. Is there a place in your life where you've held back? Is there a place in your life where you've kept something away and said, God, I really thought I surrendered. Can I tell you something? I'm just going to just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. I won't be long, but I got to tell you, I promised God when I first gave my heart to him and I, and I, I thought that's what I was doing. I didn't, I, I, I was really bringing him into my life to get a better life. I understand that now, but I got to tell you something. This is really, really powerful. Just hear my heart in this. I thought I was completely surrendered and the Holy Spirit showed me some things. So I thought, okay, I'm giving that over. And I thought, now I got it. Now it's real. Now it's for sure. And you know what happened? Holy Spirit showed me more. And I found something out that the more the light of God shined in my life, the more I saw the blemishes. The more his light shined on me, the more blemishes I saw. I got to tell you something. Just keep this thought in mind and just, just keep meditating on God. But here's where we're at. I'm a drywall finisher by trade. I've been finishing drywall for 20-some years. But I'll tell you what happens. You drywall a house. You can finish it. You can get it all nice and smooth, sand it all down. You know what happens? It looks amazing till you turn a 300-watt halogen light on it. You know what happens when you start shining a 300-watt watt halogen light on the corner bead and on the flats and on the butt joints? It starts to show you all the blemishes and all the things that were missed. You thought it was perfect, but all of a sudden now, there's scratches, there's holes, there's pits, and you've got to take a sand block and you keep sanding them. And you know what happens when you're done? Turn a 500-watt halogen light on it. Guess what happens? What you thought was perfect under a 300-watt halogen light now shows even more blemishes. I promise you that's the Holy Spirit's work in our life. He shines that light on all the places in our life. But we thought we had it together. Now lights come. I promise you that's how you go from glory to glory. That's how we go from strength to strength. That's how we go from faith to faith. I'm telling you in this covenant that we have with God, Holy Spirit is shining his light and he's challenging us. If we're going to walk this thing out, let's make sure of this. I have said this time and time again. I'll continue to say it. God is raising up a people who will be a model of what this thing's supposed to look like. He is challenging you. You're not in this school by accident. You're in this school because of the hand of God that's upon your life. And the reason that the hand of God is upon your life is because he's wanting to raise up some people that are going to really walk this thing out. I tell you this. This is so in my heart right now but I believe that God is challenging us to really be to live to walk to make this thing so real to the world around us God's heart hurts for the hypocrites in this nation don't be one walk this thing out make it real I challenge you today. There's a, there's a tenacity that's rising up in me right now there's a, it's hard for me to hold back because there's a place right now where God is so challenging the body of Christ. Would you please be the real deal? Would you please be the real deal? The world has cried out. The world has cried out, show us a model. The Greeks came to Andrew. They said, we want to see Jesus. I got news for you. The Greeks are still coming. They want to see Jesus. They're coming to the church. We want to see Jesus. Show us what he looks like. They see the church out on the street. 
I want to see Jesus. What's he really look like? It's not about your Sunday morning. It's about your Tuesday night. Will you be the real deal? You have entered into a covenant with a mighty God. You have said, Lord, come in. Everything I have is yours. He said, okay, but when I come, I'm bringing you everything you need. You've got it. Don't sit there and tell me I can't. You can because he brought it. When he came, he brought it with him. You have everything you need to live and walk successfully. I challenge you. I so, boy, I hear this straight from heaven. It's like God saying, I challenge you. Would you please be the real deal? Would you really rise up and be? Will you honor all men? Will you walk with integrity? Will you walk with honor? Will you walk with diligence? Will you pursue the real deal? Will you honor your family? Will you honor your parents? Will you honor the people around you? Will you honor authority? Will you honor authority? Will you honor? Will you be a culture of honor that will actually come up and be and live and walk honorably among all? I challenge you to live and walk in honor, to live and walk with respect, to love all men, to love people and give them truth. That's the place where God calls us to. He is raising up an honorable generation. Will you be a part of that? He is raising up a people that'll be the real deal. That's a strong thought this morning. I know it's sobering. I want it to be. I really believe God's challenging us. And I'm simply asking you, are you ready to accept that call? I want to pray. If you're ready, you lift your heart before the Lord and you tell him, God, I so want this thing for my life. Threshold covenant says, Jesus, you've come in. Everything that I have is no longer mine. I give it to you. Jesus, everything I have is yours. And he came in and said, all I got is yours. Everything I bring with me, I give to you. Father, I thank you right now. I thank you for the power of the threshold covenant. I thank you, Lord, for what the Passover really means. God, it's all about the blood. It's all about the blood. It's all about the blood. It's about your blood. You gave your blood. You gave your life. You gave it all. You gave it all for us so we would give it all for you. God, I'm asking you to come in an amazing fashion. Come in an amazing way as we yield our hearts and our lives to you right now. I'm asking you, Father, just come in an amazing fashion. Holy Spirit, I welcome you. God, I thank you. I thank you, God, for the challenges that you place upon the body. And I'm asking you to come and speak to us individually and corporately. If we've entered into covenant and we have, then God, we need to understand that everything that we have we give to you we have nothing of ourselves. we've denied ourselves. we take up our cross and we purpose to follow after you we give ourselves wholly and completely to the Christ I'm asking God that you would come give us Lord a revelation of what that covenant really means help us to understand that you called us to a position of honor God where we walk honorably among all men where we have respect for authority where we have respect for all men where we have honor for all men and honor for authorities and God that your hand would be so upon us that we would walk out the truth of who you created us to be. God, we're challenged today to the very core of our being. We're challenged to our heart. Help us to accept the challenge of this threshold covenant and realize, Lord, that we've been called to a place of surrender and we yield ourselves to you. God, I thank you. Come speak to us, Lord, right now. May the hand of God be upon us as we walk before you in sincerity and in truth. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. Man, that's deep in my heart. That's really heavy in my heart right now. I hate to, he hate to end on a heavy note, but I got to tell you something, man. Take that with you. 
We're going to walk this thing out. It's where God called us to. It's what this covenant's all about. Bless you. Thanks for being with us, man. We'll catch you next week.